Hey everybody and welcome to this, the 14th episode of the Roundtable Discussions produced by Transparent Media Truth. This episode was recorded on August 18th, 2020. Today we will be talking with three experts from the field of functional medicine that approach health and healing from different perspectives, but all come together in agreement that our environment, and specifically toxins within our environment, affect us on a deep level. Stay tuned to discover an alternative paradigm to the allopathic model of medicine so often and perhaps erroneously considered the apex of the scientific drive to determine optimal health in the modern age. As our guests will explain, scientific discoveries in the areas of epigenetics and biochemistry have now painted a picture of human health that empowers individuals to break the cycle of generational disease by using inexpensive vitamin and mineral supplementation alongside detoxification protocols that allow the natural expression of each individual's genomic potential. According to these theories, we can take charge of our own DNA to consciously create patterns of health that can be passed down to the next generation. Rather than simply blaming disease on our genetic makeup, this new science is showing how, through diet and lifestyle changes, we can take charge of gene expression on a molecular level in order to live a long and healthy life. Sterling Hill is the founder of MTHFR Support, a consulting group dedicated to spreading the word throughout the medical community about the effects of epigenetics and nutrigenomics. After fighting a battle with her own debilitating disease, she turned to alternative medicine as the allopathic world could not properly diagnose her condition. Regaining her life from unsuccessful treatment protocols, Sterling began educating the medical community about the benefits of epigenetics in successfully treating many chronic diseases. She now teaches medical professionals how to determine the true root cause of disease and how to heal compromised genetics with nutrition and supplementation. Find out more about Sterling Hill's work at mthfrsupport.com. Our second guest is Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Dr. Seneff has a PhD in electrical engineering from MIT, where she spent a career initially working on voice-activated artificial intelligence interfaces, which eventually became what we know now as Siri and Alexa. For the last 12 years, the focus of her research switched to biochemistry as she sought to discover the root cause of the autism epidemic in the United States and across the world. Eventually, her quest led her to an understanding that the ubiquitous environmental toxin glyphosate found in the common weed killer Roundup may be the primary driver of the condition. Discover more at people.csale.mit.edu backslash Finally, we are joined today by Mariam Hanane, investigative journalist, producer of the documentary Vanishing of the Bees, and curator of HoneyColony.com. Mariam puts our other guests inside the context of the honey colony metaphor, a warning to all of us that colony collapse happens after long-term exposure to slow-acting environmental toxins. Our three guests combine to paint a different picture of modern health than is commonly presented within the allopathic paradigm. Together, they represent a new health modality where individuals can take charge of their quality of life through diet and detoxification that has the ability to enhance human function at the DNA level. This perspective gives hope to an alternative to the allopathic model, which posits that we are all predestined to illness through genetics, and our only option is to take expensive and often toxic medications in perpetuity until we inevitably succumb to chronic disease. As always, I want to thank Rob Rubin of Transparent Media Truth for putting this all together. 
All of the roundtable discussions can be found at transparentmediatruth.com or on the Transparent Media Truth YouTube channel. I will be your host. My name is Doug McKenty. Check out my weekly interview program, The Shift with Doug McKenty, on YouTube, at McKenty on Twitter, or find all my content at theshiftnow.com. Please enjoy this episode of the Roundtable Discussions featuring Sterling Hill, Miriam Hanane, and Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this 14th Roundtable Discussion. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKenty. I am speaking today with Sterling Hill, Miriam Hanane, and Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Uh, we're having a roundtable discussion really about all things health, I think, today. Um, uh, Sterling is about epigenetics. Dr. Seneff has been doing a lot of work uh, on the glyphosate and toxicity issue. And Miriam, as uh, people who've been listening to this program know, uh, does a lot with, um, with health as well. So we're going to kind of talk about um, toxicity and health and specifically, I think, touch on a lot to do with COVID-19, of course, which is uh, still a huge problem, even though I think many of us may feel like we're, we're getting towards the end of it. The government doesn't really seem to feel that way. So let's just go around the table and, uh, and hear from everybody who's here today and let them uh, give a little bit of their background in their own words, and then we'll take the conversation from there. Uh, Sterling, do you want to start? You want to just tell people a little bit about yourself? Okay. I'm a genetic applications engineer. Um, I got into this because I got chronically ill myself, and um, I started studying genetics and how environmental toxins in diet and lifestyle impact your genetics. And um, since then, I've done a lot of advocacy. I've actually went with Stephanie Seneff to Washington, D.C. before. Um, we did an interesting congressional briefing on um, glyphosate. Um, and I've also done a lot of lecturing at Autism One, studying the excipients and adjuvants and those um, needles they give the children. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> right. But um, and how they. Um, impact DNA. And I've also been awarded by Louisiana set, Senate for my um, for my work in protecting the medical health freedom of adults and children around the country and the world. Great. And Miriam, you want to tell a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm an investigative journalist of 25 years, a um, functional medicine consultant and certified coach best known for directing the documentary film Vanishing of the Bees. And I've been reporting on the Rona since uh, January nonstop. Yeah, it's, it's taken up a lot of our time, hasn't it? <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, yes. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for your work in the independent media covering it from a different perspective. It's amazing how much uh, what, what I'm starting to call disinformation is out there from the corporate media. So got to have people that are actually given the other side of the coin. And uh, Dr. Seneff, you want to you wanna let us know a little bit about yourself as well? Okay, yes, I'm at MIT. I've been there pretty much all my adult life and um, educated there. Um, was doing computer science work for most of my career, but about 12 years ago, I got interested in autism. I was concerned about the rising rates of autism and I wanted to understand what was causing it. Uh, and I, so I sort of switched over my research towards that and uh, learned a lot about autism spent five years looking for the toxic chemical that was causing it because I really think there was something going on in the environment that was also going up dramatically with the dramatic rise in autism. And after five years, I happened to hear about glyphosate from Professor Don Hubert to our presentation. 
And um, I, you know, I had, I knew about Roundup. I had dismissed it because it's safe, just like everybody does. But um, he, he opened my eyes. And so in those two hours, I had an epiphany and I have not stopped since then. I have been immersed in studying glyphosate every which way. It's a very, very interesting molecule with very unique and insidious effects on our health. I believe it's the cause not only of the autism epidemic, but of many of the epidemic and many other diseases that are going up dramatically. As soon as a country starts adopting a Western diet, they start getting fat, they start getting diabetes, all these problems that we're having. Alzheimer's rates are now, Alzheimer's is happening now at a much higher rate among younger people. And I think it's all connected to glyphosate. So I've become obsessed with this molecule. And mm -hmm. I now think that glyphosate is a major factor in COVID-19. It's quite interesting because the countries that are grappling, grappling with a huge epidemic and they can't control it are the same countries that use lots of glyphosate and also specifically have been working hard in the area of biofuels to develop uh, to, to develop ways to turn biomass into fuel. And that biomass is heavily contaminated with glyphosate. I think there's a connection there. Yeah, this is fascinating. As I was uh, doing some research for this interview, I came across that concept that you've been promoting, which is that within the biofuels that they've sprayed glyphosate on all on on all these food crops, and then they're turning them into into ethanol. And then when we burn the ethanol or the biodiesel, then we're getting glyphosate in the air. Everybody's breathing it in. It's all over the place. It's just so ubiquitous. It's crazy. Yeah, and I think biogas may be the smoking gun. I've I've been looking at the bioethanol, the biogas. There's mm -hmm. bioheating oil. There's a lot of bio out there. And aviation biofuel. All of those could be contributing. I'm suspecting the biogas more and more because that's what you're seeing. I think that explains the animal, um, the food processing. You know, the meat processing industry has been hit so hard. And many times, meat processing plants are situated near uh, an anaerobic digester that turns the meat waste into uh, usable biogas, and they use the gas to fuel the plant. That's becoming a more and more efficient way to handle the waste and generate energy. You know, what's not to like about that, but you've got a lot of glyphosate in that mm -hmm. situation because those animals are, are fed heavy doses of glyphosate in their feed. May, may I say a few things to maybe set set the stage? Sure. That, um, let's, uh, well, in my, in my opinion, I think that we've paved the way to what I, you know, to a perfect cytokine storm. Insidious is a good way because there's so many variables that it's perfect. You can't really say, oh, this is what's causing right. uh, the situation. And in regards to the coronavirus, that the epigenetics or the um, environmental toxins are not really considered as we know, nobody in the task force has mentioned the immune system. In fact, President Trump is the only one that I've heard speak about zinc. So maybe let's let's just talk about who, which whichever one of you wants to explain epigenetics. And, and so I study uh, biohacking. I consider myself a biohacker of reverse lupus and fibromyalgia, and uh, I was I got it because I was exposed to a fumigant or something in, in uh, the Dominican Republic. And when I told them I was suffering from chemical body burden, they gave me a blank stare and sent me home with Cymbalta and prednisone and told me my body was attacking itself and there, there was no, no cure. So let, let's maybe just establish what it is, what epigenetics is for people who are listening who might not know. Well, I could step in there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. 
um, so, you know, a, a good place to start is, um, you know, we're born with genetics and um, many of us have things in, you know, we're born with an impairment, but things like our gut microbiome will make up for that. So let's say if you're born with certain genetics where you do not make enough GABA, you will have more gut bugs like lactobacillus rhamnosus in your gut to produce mm. that extra GABA that you mm. don't produce. Um, that's that's the amazing way the body works. So you run out of GABA one day and then that those genes that are impaired start epigenetically expressing and you've run out of GABA. So your, your bugs will actually develop an ecosystem for you for where your shortcomings are in most cases. But, you know, to get like where we could talk about glyphosate and the honeybees, this would be of interest to mm. you, Mary, and also to Stephanie. Um, somebody, I, I was watching Dr. Paul Stamets, you know, the big mushroom, the mycologist. Yep. And I was watching a video of his, and he was talking about how, you know, he was investigating why the honeybee collapses were happening. And what they saw was they were missing peak chimeric acid out of the honey. And he explained that glyphosate is one thing that's known. You need um, that peak chimeric acid to detox it. So if you, you have this heavy load of glyphosate, you're gonna run out of this peak chimeric acid. And I, I had mentioned it to a lot of my followers and they sent me some interesting studies and I'm looking at the studies and I'm seeing that um, this um, peak chimeric acid could actually essentially be playing a role in who is really sick with COVID. And therefore, that's telling me that glyphosate is playing a role in who is really sick with COVID. Mm -hmm. Because what they were showing is when you run out of this peak chimeric acid, not only do peak chimeric acid is needed for your phase one liver detox, to detox things, cleanse them out the liver. It's also needed um, to help prevent tumor necrosis factor from turning on, which is a gene that causes massive inflammation in a cytokine storm when it's out of its cage. And then also um, there were a few other genes that are involved in um, that we have data on COVID. Um, not only tumor necrosis factor, but um, inter your interleukin genes. So and, and specifically Sorry to interrupt you, but your sound is coming in and out. I think if you sorry. just lean lean towards your phone, yeah. that would be best. So, yeah, sorry. Can you all hear me okay now? Yeah, that sounds better. Okay. So the um, so anyway, so I got these other studies that were sent to me where um, there was a Chinese herb that was being used that was very uh, abundant in peak chimeric acid that they were using on cancer patients. And it totally put their tumor necrosis factor back in its cage and also their interleukin-6. And it helped stimulate superoxide dismutase-3 is another gene that protects the cell membrane um, via zinc to prevent things like Corona from entering the cell. So that led me to say, hey, I, I put all the connections out there, all the peer reviewed research out there. I actually threw this on social media on Facebook. 
And I sometimes put some controversial stuff out there, but I had all this peer-reviewed research showing the steps of me then saying, this tells me that glyphosate can play a role in corona. Mm-hmm. And um, I got punished off of Facebook. They put me in Facebook. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, can we, uh, this acid that you're talking about, is it an amino acid? What type of acid is it? Can you spell it? Can you spell it? Um, It's it's, a carboxylic um, enzyme. Um, It's It's really, really important to remove oxalate, you know, to get that glyoxalate metabolic process working. And then also the citric cycle. So it's very, very interesting. I know I know, Stephanie, you, you're probably going to be very interested in looking this up now. Sure. Um, so so this was this was so such a critical find. And I found it just by listening to Paul's statements. He, he has so much great information out there. And um, it's found in a lot of food. But is it going to be found in food that has been sprayed with glyphosate? Right. Probably right. not. Do, do we have any... Um... Any stats on, I mean, glyphosate is found in breast milk, in blood, in our brain. And do you have, Dr. Stephanie, any any stats? And then can we talk about maybe how it breaks down the, in, the lining of the intestines? I mean, right. we've seen that with the honeybees, that it does that with the bees. So can, can we talk about stats and then what it does to the lining of our own guts? Yeah, I mean it's 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 quite a night a nightmare in my opinion, and the zinc in, in fact becomes an important factor as well because it's been shown that glyphosate severely disrupts the uptake of minerals into plants that are exposed, so the plants become mineral deficient, and zinc is one of those mi- minerals that it chelates very very well. Uh, it's it's been shown actually that zinc uh, as a supplement can protect rats from glyphosate uh, toxicity. They, they give they give them zinc before they give them the glyphosate. They do much better. So glyphosate is preventing the zinc from working the way it should. And also zinc detoxifies, helps to detoxify glyphosate. So that's one thing. And zinc and other minerals too, of course, manganese and cobalt and and iron, all those minerals are disrupted by glyphosate. It also um, opens up the gut barrier. And that's something Zach Bush has shown. He's published papers on that. It induces zonulin in the gut, which causes leaky gut. And, uh, you know, we, I actually counted the number of papers that have been published on the microbiome over time, and it's rising very dramatically in step with the rise in glyphosate usage on core crops. I think we didn't notice the gut microbiome back when it was working perfectly fine. Ever since we started getting glyphosate in our food, the gut microbiome started getting really messed up by it. And it particularly, um, it, it focuses on uh, the beneficial bacteria like lactobacillus and and bifidobacteria are especially susceptible to glyphosate. So when they get reduced in numbers, then the pathogens have a chance to overgrow. You get an imbalance in the gut. And then you get an immune response to those pathogens, which sets up the inflammatory gut, which is probably part of what causes the leaky gut. So it's quite a cascade. Many, many people have all kinds of issues with their gut, even simple things like diarrhea and constipation and bloating, all those things, I think, are connected to the disrupted gut microbiome that's caused by glyphosate. So that I just want to tell um, the audience that uh, we are more bacteria than human cells, that the gut is considered the second brain, that we make serotonin in our gut, that leaky gut is when the lining is uh, perforated and then things cross the blood brain, I'm sorry, the, the barrier into the bloodstream. 
And then this uh, pandemic, um, this exaggerated hoax, which is what I believe that no one is talking about our food supply or what we're eating. No one has mentioned bolstering the immune system. Right. If anything, pizza, you know, pe- people are eating pizza and takeout and, um, one in every two people is sick today with a chronic illness, um, a study that the CDC took down and that 54% of our children are sick. And uh, this is not normal. Right. This is what I've been shouting on the rooftops now for quite some time. I really think, of course, it's not just glyphosate, but the reason why I single out glyphosate is because they consider it to be perfectly safe and they don't, don't even study it. They don't even measure how much is in the food. They don't care. They know it's all over the food supply. The government, they think it's fine. So once you think something is perfectly safe and then you use it pervasively, it's by far the most used herbicide in the world. And the United States uses more per person than any other country in the world. And we have very, a very sick population. So it all, you know, you connect some dots and then you see actually how this molecule works, because I believe glyphosate has a unique mechanism of toxicity that is nothing else has that mechanism, which has to do with getting into proteins by mistake in place of the coding amino acid glycine. If you assume glyphosate does that, then you can start to explain how it would cause all these diseases. It's quite stunning. Um, and I, you know, I could go into great detail with all of that, but I would probably bore you with the But, no, but can the you detail. dumb it down? Sorry, can you dumb it down how it works to compete with the gly- with glycine and why glycine yeah. is important? Right, because glycine's an amino acid, it's the smallest amino acid, it's one of the building blocks of proteins. You know, the DNA code codes for the amino acids and you string them together like beads on a string to make a protein and the proteins are the workhorses of the body. So when proteins don't work, uh, you're in trouble. And certain proteins have put glycine in certain spots where glyphosate could fit very comfortably in that same spot. Glyphosate is a complete glycine molecule. It has a perfect match to the, to the lock and key where, where glycine fits so it can go get comfortably into that same hole it has extra material stuck onto its nitrogen atom, but the nitrogen atom has to stay out of the hole because it has to hook up with the rest of the, um, with the, rest of the amino acids. It's part of the chain, part of the, of the hand-holding. So the nitrogen is outside of the, of the place where the glycine fits so beautifully. Glyphosate fits beautifully too. No other amino acid fits because the other amino acids all have side chains. Gly- glycine and glyphosate both have no side chain. So it's a perfect match. So it, it's not surprising to me that it would do that. And in fact, that's how you can explain the way it disrupts EPSP synthase in the shikimate pathway. There's a specific protein that they have found it disrupts. There's no dispute about that, that uh, messes up the shikimate biological pathway that's present in plants and in microbes, but not in human cells. And they claim that's why it's Can you say that pathway again? Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, shikimate, S-H-I-K-I-M-A-T-E, shikimate pathway. That's the pathway that produces the aromatic amino acids, tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. Those are precursors to serotonin, for example. All the um, neurotransmitters come out of that pathway. And also many of the um, really beautiful antioxidants that plants make come out of that pathway. All these polyphenols and flavonoids, all these healthy plant you know, elements that are the reason why you should eat a lot of plants, they come out of that pathway too. So all those things get reduced because glyphosate is blocking that pathway. And our food becomes deficient in critical nutrients. And then our bodies can't make serotonin, they can't make dopamine, they can't make thyroid hormone, they can't make melanin, all of those come out of that pathway. So we're pretty screwed, basically, if just that one um, protein is blocked. It's an enzyme that is critical in the aromatic amino acid generating pathway. 
And so you also mentioned zonulin, which is also found, well, it, it's triggered when you eat gluten, right? So can, yes, can you absolutely. explain I think... what zonulin is, is a poison? Can you explain yeah. to, to people? Zonulin is a protein and um, it's yeah. produced in the gut uh, in response to, um, particularly when proteins are not digested. So glyphosate is a messes up protein digestion. Actually, Anthony Samsel tested samples of uh, porcine, uh, trypsin, pepsin, and lipase. You can purchase these, you know, as um, supplements. And Anthony Samsel has been testing lots of things for glyphosate, but these are three things that he tested and found had significant amounts of glyphosate in them, which he wasn't. He predicted they would. Uh, glyphosate is getting into those digestive enzymes and messing them up. I believe it's causing. Um, well, of course, also just the gut microbiome is very important for the digestion of gluten in particular because uh, lactobacillus. Uh, produce all kinds of different enzymes that specialize in breaking down, separating proline from the other amino acids. Proline is a difficult amino acid um, to to digest, and the bacteria help us do that. But but glyphosate kills those bacteria and disrupts the uh, the enzymes that would allow them to digest the the gluten for us to help us digest the gluten. So what happens is these gluten peptides don't get broken down. And then they irritate the gut, and then they cause this reaction that lets the zonulin get released, creates the leaky gut. They want it, the gut wants to flush everything out. It wants to bring in water, get diarrhea, get rid of all the stuff because it's detecting something bad going on that it can't digest the proteins. Well, I would like to mention um, Doris Lowe contacted me. She's a researcher. She's been putting out some peer review on Corona. And I, I don't want to say the full name of it, um, but what Doris contacted me about is because we had the hereditary hemochromatosis genes out there, HFE, which are actually HLA genes. And we had G6PD out there. And she said, we have to get the haptoglobins out. I see what's going on, why all these people are dying with all these iron upregulation issues. And she said that haptoglobin 2-2s are as well. Because those groups of people that have this G6PD deficiency and then mm. ones that active epigenetic expression of hereditary hemochromatosis and these haptoglobin types all produce, you ready for this? Loads of zonulin. That's interesting. Wow. That's very, it, it's amazing how the dots connect. They connect so easily that I just can't understand why other people aren't seeing it. And, well, and it's, sorry, I was going to say, this is, this is too complex for, for most people. I mean, I people do not, that. do not realize, um, sorry to, to have interrupted you. It's like I was speaking to the editor in chief of the Adbusters, who's planning this whole White House siege. And he kept on saying, you're getting lost in the details. That's where the devil is, people. I know, no it frustrates me. People... Details people's eyes glaze over so easily. And I, I mean, I'm so comfortable with it because I've been immersed in it for many years and I can't understand how people can't understand what I'm saying, you know, because G6PD is a good example because glycosate has been shown to suppress that enzyme. And I can see why it would suppress it because it has a setup just like EPSP synthase. So what I've done is that I know how it's messing up EPSP synthase, that enzyme in the shikimate pathway. And it has to do with a specific glycine residue in that enzyme. And, it, and that is binding to phosphate. So I've looked at all these enzymes that bind phosphate at a place where there's a glycine. And that's a pattern. You can just find that pattern. And when you find the enzymes that are susceptible to glyphosate because they have that pattern, 
you can connect them to all those diseases that are going up, diabetes, autism, Alzheimer's, obesity, cancer, all the, all the things. They all work out really beautifully in a complex space of specific enzymes that have specific lysines that bind to phosphate. It's quite fascinating. One of them is G6PD. It actually binds NADPH in two places. And NADPH has three phosphates in it. So there's a, and it has glycine at those places where it binds the NADPH. So I understand why it would suppress G6PD. And in fact, it's been shown experimentally to suppress it as well. Yeah, and then when you look at the collapse, um, cytochrome P450s for yeah. uh, phase one liver detox need that NADPH, right? Absolutely. In fact, I think because G6PD is getting blocked, G6PD mm -hmm. is essential for producing NADPH. And NADPH is essential for making glutathione work correctly. Also, vitamin C. Master antioxidant, just to tell people that glutathione and, and doing glutathione IVs yes. and uh, detoxing with, an, with an antioxidant can be super, super helpful. was very helpful in, in reversing my lupus and fibromyalgia, but no one's going to mention doing gluth, gluth IVs. Yeah, no, I agree. I've noticed how glutathione has become an incredibly important uh, supplement and also the, the precursors to glutathione, like, you know, N-acetylcysteine and S-adenosylmethionine, all these um, sulfur containing, you know, because the, the, glutathione has, uh, has cysteine and it. it also has glycine, by the way. Glutathione is, a three, is three amino acids, mm -hmm. uh, cysteine, glycine, and glutamate. And the glycine, I suspect, in, in uh, glutathione is getting substituted by glyphosate. As you see, glyphosate causes upregulation. So glyphosate causes the liver to increase the production of glutathione, but it also causes it to increase the production of GGT as an enzyme that breaks down glutathione. So it's uselessly, it's futilely cycling back between making it and breaking it, making it and breaking it, because it's ending up with these versions of glutathione that are not working because they've got glyphosate instead of glycine. That's what I think is happening. That would explain what you see in the data. I find I would take NAC. I mean, whenever yeah. I can remember, and I take meth methionine. There you as go. Well. Yeah. And uh, just to tell the audience also that I guess from all the arsenal of things that I did to help reverse my autoimmune, that I used coffee enemas, which increases the production of glutathione by seven hundred percent. I don't know if either of you have have used coffee enemas or suggested it to people that you're working with. I've certainly heard about coffee enemas being beneficial. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I've had clients tell me that they, they do great on them. I wanted to get to the NAC with you guys because um, yeah. I had a nurse practitioner contact me. And NAC is one of the supplements that they're bringing on the table to possibly take off the market. Hmm. Oh, and boy. They're so crazy. It just doesn't make any sense what pharma is doing. Everything they do is is exact opposite in my opinion i mean it's just incredible how often they get get it wrong yeah look at all these children with cystic fibrosis they depend on their daily i, I mean but what, what happens if their parents don't have the money to get a prescription of it right it, it should be very readily available these children with autism need it because their right. liver function properly people like me i need it um you know a awful car accident is totally debilitated my spine. So, um, you know, I need a lot of nutritional support and that is one of my big go-to's. How many, how much do you take Sterling and, and do you take it with uh, foods just to tell people? 
Well, I, I just, I do a lot of muscle testing. So there might be sometimes I not, might not need it for two weeks and then might be sometimes where I need it, you know, one dose a day or three doses in a day. Um, I do a lot of muscle testing. So you take it with food, I was told. Yeah. Yeah. I usually need a salad and grab a neck when I need it. I mean, it's pretty cheap. And uh, I would tell people if they're looking at, at NAC that um, to always look at the fillers. There's a lot of uh, companies out there that put crap. They put in active ingredients and no one really looks at the fillers that, that they put to save money. So quality is very important. But NAC is not an, it's not an ex- expensive uh, supplement. And no, it's, it's necessary. What's worrisome is... Uh, you know, this is up on the table. So we need to keep our eyes out because they said, oh my gosh, I'll have to buy about 20 bottles and hope it lasts in a freezer. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's sad. Why? Because they, they uh, there's a shelf life, you mean? Uh, there's a shelf life to many supplements out there. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I brought a whole bunch of knack with me to the jungle. <laughs> and methionine. Can, can you make the differentiation Dr. Stephanie, between Uh thionine and NAC? Yeah, so NAC is N-acetylcysteine, and cysteine and methionine are close cousins. They're actually uh, very similar, and methionine is, so cysteine is considered to be um, conditionally essential, and methionine is essential. That means that our cells don't know how to make it. Our cells can't make methionine. If they have methionine, they can make cysteine from it, but they can't make cysteine from scratch. So those are both essential. Those are sulfur-containing amino acids, and uh, the microbes can make um, methionine out of inorganic sulfur. So when you eat foods that have inorganic sulfur, then the bacteria can turn it into methionine. But glyphosate has been shown to disrupt the enzymes in the E. coli that do that. So methionine is on top of the three aromatic amino acids. Glyphosate also interferes with the synthesis of methionine. So I think a lot of people have a methionine deficiency problem. They also have a sulfur sensitivity problem. I think Sterling can talk about that. Uh, sensitive to sulfur-containing foods, so they start eliminating sulfur from their diet, and then, of course, they get major sulfur deficiency. The reason why they have a sulfur sensitivity problem is because the microbes can't turn the inorganic sulfur into organic sulfur, and what happens is that the sulfur-reducing bacteria have a field day, and you get a lot of hydrogen sulfide gas in your gut, which causes bloating, and then hydrogen sulfide can go anywhere. It's it's like a ghost. It can travel right through the tissues, right up to the, it'll, it'll rise up to the brain, and cause brain fog. So a lot of people, a lot of the autistic kids have issues with uh, overgrowth of desulfovibrio um, and uh, excess production of hydrogen sulfide gas because the assimilatory uh, sulfur-reducing proteins are broken by glyphosate. Yeah, keep on using hand sanitizer, folks. (laughs) That surprised me nuts. (laughs) Well, I, I brought that up because I just just think about, you know, you're eroding your own um, bacteria. And I mean, I don't think any of this, I think it's it's planned and it's, it's evil genius. Why are they, you know, they're attacking compounding pharmacies. They're not mentioned there. You're, you're told to wear a mask, to use sanitizers, to basically let's help further deplete your immune system as if it wasn't depleted enough. Let's keep you inside where the air is 50 times worse indoors than it is outdoors. Let's make sure you don't get vitamin D from the sun. Let's make sure you I don't know. go to the beach. I mean, this is evil. I mean, pharmacia, it's incredible, isn't it? I, I, sorcery. 
I can hear the passion in your voice and I so totally sympathize with what you're saying. It's so frustrating to me that we're telling everybody what to do and what they're doing is making the situation worse. And it's just incredible. And no one says a thing about any kind of toxic chemicals, eating healthy food, um, getting out in the sunlight. I mean, these are such simple things we could be doing that uh, would tremendously help our cause, you know, and they don't even mention it. They don't even mention the immune system. It's so ridiculous. And they say, well, some people, you know, they catch the virus, they test positive, they're not even sick. And then these other people, they're, you know, in the ICU, they don't stop and think, well, what's the difference between those two people? How come somebody doesn't get sick at all and somebody else dies from it? What's the difference between those two people? They just sort of accept it. Oh yeah, well, those people, I don't know. That's just, you know, they're good luck, (laughs) you know? They should no. look at the people who are healthy and figure out why they're healthy. And they're not, they don't seem to be interested in doing that at all, which is yeah. propagated. Yeah. Not only that, but they're scaring everybody because they're testing everyone and they don't tell us how many of these positive cases are asymptomatic. All they're doing is saying, oh, 5 million positive cases. Well, how many of those were asymptomatic and why were they asymptomatic? And what can we do to make sure that we're asymptomatic if we get it? You know, no the conversation is, about the it. test Crazy. is not a diagnostic tool anyway. It's sure. like the the dude I spoke to yesterday was like, there's a thousand deaths a day. Says who? Like, spoiler mm-hmm. alert, we die. This is not a diagnostic tool. This is not a diagnostic tool. Coronavirus, there's a whole family. I, when, when I got to, to the jungle, I, I was with Zach Voorhees, and he got sick and arguably had the coronavirus. He coughed on me for three weeks. He has asthma, so he hit, hit his lungs. I did not get sick. So well, I don't know why is that? And then you, you mentioned fear. Well, that further depresses your immune system. Right. Yeah, it's so, uh, it's so insane. I, and you look at the United States struggling so hard against this virus, and we keep on saying we're not doing enough testing, we're not doing enough face mask wearing, we're not doing enough you know, tra- tracking and, and distancing, social distancing, and all this stuff. And that, I wish they would say, you know, maybe we're poisoning ourselves. Maybe we're, not, we're sick. We're, we're vulnerable because we're being poisoned by all these toxic chemicals in our environment. Right. Yeah. I mean, it almost seems like a perfect storm of toxicity. Can you guys, um, because one of the first things when you were talking about the connection, of course, between glyphosate and autism, then I'm thinking, well, what about all the people that are talking about the vaccines and the aluminum in the vaccines? But there's actually even another connection there. Like it, it really is a perfect storm of toxicity here. But will you go into that? What is the relationship between like the aluminum in the vaccines and the glyphosate and then how it all ends up building towards a lot of these autoimmune uh, disorders, but um, autism in particular? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I started with the vaccines and I looked hard at the vaccines for the first five years before I discovered glyphosate. And I definitely think the vaccines are a factor in mm-hmm. autism, despite this you know mantra that vaccines don't cause autism. I think that's not true. <laughs> Uh, Andy Wakefield is a, is a hero, in my opinion, and a friend of mine. And the work, and I read about his papers back in 19, late 1990s. He wrote about the gut dysbiosis as being connected to autism. He saw that early on, and he got right. totally squashed and killed. I mean, he, his, he lost his license to practice medicine in the UK. It's so ridiculous. The vaccine industry is so powerful that they are able to just keep that lie going, that vaccines are safe. And, and yet, you know, aluminum is incredibly toxic to the brain. It's easily connected to Alzheimer's. Um, there's lots and lots of evidence that it's causing autism. There's been studies of autistic brains that found high levels of aluminum in the brain. You know, it's very clear aluminum is playing a factor. And I think there's other toxic minerals, not toxic metals as well, that are 
like mercury, for example, aluminum, mercury, cadmium, and there's all these arsenic, all these metals that are um, that are much worse because of the glyphosate. It's very. I wrote a whole paper on glyphosate and uh, aluminum and the pineal gland because I feel that so I found that glyphosate actually is a chelate, metal chelator, and two glyphosate molecules will wrap around an aluminum. Aluminum is a plus charge, so that makes it hard to get across the barrier. But if you hide it inside the chelator, it crosses the gut barrier much more easily. So glyphosate binds to two two glyphosate molecules, wrap around an aluminum, change, get rid of that plus three charge, make it a neutral, small neutral molecule that can much more easily get past the barrier, past the gut barrier and past the brain barrier. And glyphosate opens up the barriers to make it even easier. So it causes the leaky gut, it, it binds to the aluminum, it escorts the aluminum across the barrier into the blood, across the brain barrier, because a leaky gut induces a leaky brain. But the pineal gland is outside of the brain barrier, so it doesn't even have to get past the barrier to affect the pineal gland. And uh, when the pineal gland is, is damaged, you get sleep disorder. Sleep disorder is another thing that's going up exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage on core crops. And they've shown that the pineal gland, it accumulates both calcium and aluminum with age. And the aluminum and calcium are both, the calcification of it are going to affect the pineal gland so it can't work properly. And... Um, and that gets into sleep disorder because of the melatonin that doesn't get properly synthesized and released into the brain for sleep. Yeah, it makes me think also of syncogeo that also has an impact on the pineal gland, pineal, pineal gland. I don't know how to pronounce it. I might be saying it wrong. <laughs> no, I might say it wrong. I'm saying syncogeo is, I'm, I'm, it's code for, you can figure out what syncogeo is, right? Syncogeo. Uh, <laughs> I can't. 5G, 5G. Oh, Cinco, I see. Cinco, five, of course. Thank you. <laughs> you don't want to say it, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's another whole story. And that's a, another, you know, question about autism. A lot of people believe that that's also playing a role. And certainly that's gone up enormously. I mean, not just exponentially, probably way more than exponential rise in exposure to EMFs over time. That is... Uh, um, and I think glyphosate disrupts the body's electrical system, so that makes you more susceptible to uh, exposure to EMFs because of the glyphosate. They both induce calcium uptake by the cells. Both glyphosate and the EMFs do that. So they're just synergistically toxic in that respect. Can, can we just touch upon how sorry prevalent uh, glyphosate is? Where it's it's everywhere because when I'm consulting with people, I tell them, you know, you eat for your condition. The most important thing is to eat clean, eat organic, instead yeah. of being dogmatic about I'm a vegan, I'm I'm a right. carnivore. Uh, just eat for you and your genes and your condition. So how prevalent is glyphosate? That's the thing. It's all over the food supply, especially in the United States. Uh, as I said, we use more per person than any other uh, any other country. Uh, Canada comes in pretty close too. So Canada and U.S. are both very bad. Mexico is actually much better. Canada tested foods from a whole bunch of different countries, imports to, into Canada. And, and interestingly enough, Mexico came right in with Europe as far as having much less glyphosate on average in the foods that came from Mexico as compared with the U.S. and Canada. Mexico has decided to ban glyphosate. They're going to completely phase it out. I think by 2022 or 2024, something like that, they're going to completely get rid of glyphosate. I'm so thrilled about that. U.S., of course, thinks glyphosate is wonderful. There's no problem with it. It doesn't matter how much is in the food because it's perfectly safe. So with that kind of an attitude, um, you know, we're just poisoning the entire population without even noticing. We see that we have all this diabetes and obesity and autism and Alzheimer's. You know, and of course, it's wonderful for the medical system because they've got plenty of business. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. What were you going to say, Sterling? Were you going to say something? Oh, I was. Uh, yeah, I was wanting to talk a little bit more about the aluminum because I I love Stephanie's work on um, how how the aluminum this when when they come in with it ionic right when they come in with it with that whatever is going to drive it into the cell um, it kind of clogs up that cell membrane that outer part of the cell right that way the yeah it's very nasty uh, in the cell membrane yeah it's 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 nasty everywhere aluminum is just it's not biology does not use aluminum for anything it just it's just toxic yeah yeah it's toxic to the DNA. It's toxic to the cell membrane. It's toxic to the mitochondria. I mean, it's aluminum is bad news, and it disrupts the uh, the enzymes. Actually, I aluminum disrupts uh, the cytochrome P450 enzymes. So, so does glyphosate. So that's another synergistic effect. Those are the enzymes that detoxify lots of to uh, uh, fat soluble toxic chemicals. They Say them again. The d detoxifications. Now, cyto let's see, CYP enzyme, CYP, cytochrome P450 enzymes. That's kind of a mouthful, but they're called CYP, CYP, which is easier. And they are crucial. Well, they're crucial in the liver, liver for lots of things. They uh, they make the bile acids. They they activate the vitamin D. They break down uh, vitamin A, and they um, detoxify. By uh, fat soluble by uh, chem chemicals, toxic chemicals, including toxins produced by pathogens. So all of that gets disrupted when glyphosate disrupts the cyp enzymes in the liver. And the liver has been shown to be very sensitive to glyphosate. There was a recent study on rats where they exposed them to glyphosate at levels below regulatory limits, and they developed. It was clear they developed fatty liver disease. And we've also seen people with fatty liver disease tested high had high glyphosate levels in their urine compared to people without it in, in a recent study on humans. So um, I think it's causing that. It's causing the fatty liver disease, which is another one of the epidemics that we're seeing today, in today's world. Um, just to tell people that toxins are um, the fat soluble, that so a lot of times if someone's obese or someone goes on a diet, once they start losing weight, they start getting sick and maybe yes. then they'll give up. But in reality, they're detoxing. And uh, they should keep going, which is why I'm also a big fan of infrared saunas. Yes. And um, so I don't know if you want to say anything, either of you, on that. And then I, I wanted to they ask you. They must go slow. They must go again? slow. You yeah. must go slow. This is why um, when people do rapid weight loss, they're at higher risk of death um, because of the toxins they are releasing from their fat cells. Yeah. So anybody who is really full of toxins, um, one of the worst things you can do is go on a rapid weight loss because you're going to be dumping those. Um, that's why you're at higher risk of a heart attack when you drop weight too fast. Right. And of course, that's also why you're fat, because your body is finding a way to store the, the toxins in those fat cells instead of making your brain sick. I mean, it's a good choice, really. I think there's a benefit to being fat in today's world. Shortage of obesity. Um in this world. Can, can we talk also about phase, Sterling, can you explain phase one and phase two detox so people can understand? I, again, I think, you know, if I take the perspective of a, a layman that this might be just too much for people to assimilate. And it also shines light on how myopic Western medicine is that really mm -hmm. doesn't look at the, I mean, even when they look at um, thyroid, they don't look at T3 in reverse. They, they don't, you have to really ask, they don't look for these things and then you're not going to find them. 
So can you explain de detox phase one and uh, phase two? I mean, detox phase one, really super important, right? And we can tell now that glyphosate blocks it. Um, there's many other things that block it. Sugar. Okay, because when when you um, when you cannot metabolize all the sugar intake you're taking in, you wipe out NADPH, and um, NADPH is very essential for phase one liver detox. That and heme, heme, and you kind of again getting back to these sick people with Corona, the ones that are really really sick. Look what they're dying of. Um, you know, their heme's left their red blood cell. They're they're all diabetics. They have no phase one liver detox going on. So that's playing a huge role in this too. So, um, you know, your liver is a huge filtration system in the first phase is those, or those cytochrome P450 um, genes. And they are totally, extremely dependent on NADPH and heme. Yes, that's right. This is so important. And, and that's why you see, well, all these diabetics are dying right now. All right. Um, this tells me that, um, you know, this is a bunch of poison being released and these people dying that um, are not asymptomatic, but symptomatic. And um, it's huge. Um, you're going to lead to fatty liver, but I'm going to let Stephanie go into phase two. I bet you she's much better at phase two than me. <laughs> yeah, well, phase one, you're right about the side enzymes. Those are critical for phase one. They're disrupted by glyphosate. They're disrupted by aluminum. So you can see why you know the liver would be in trouble with that. And phase two is also disrupted by glyphosate. And that's where the, you attach some small molecule to it. So you're basically trying to make these fat-soluble water uh, molecules water-soluble, trying to convert them into water-soluble molecules. And you can do two things to do that. One is the sipe enzymes make them more water soluble. And then the conjugation to these uh, small molecules also makes them more water soluble. So you can conjugate to glutathione or to sulfate or to, uh, um, what is it? Uh, shoot, I forgot it. <laughs> yeah, there's other things you can conjugate it to, um, to make it more soluble. And, and glutathione is one of the things that you can conjugate it to. And actually, I think the um, glyphosate makes you do that more than you normally would because the sulfation pathway is not working. So sulfate's a really great way to detox these things out of sulfate. That's a very common way. Is to it do also it. sorry to take and, maybe uh, dim? Like because you you could take, let's say there's an abundance of estrogen mimicking um, so we, a lot of us are suffering with too much estrogen and you say, if you take cruciferous veggies like oh, yeah. broccoli or Brussels sprouts, that helps to also detox. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And actually they're a very good source of sulfur, which is what makes the sulfate, which is what you can use for the second phase, phase two. Sulfation is a very popular way to do phase two. Actually, sulfation is also how you can detox mercury. And so that's getting disrupted by glyphosate, which is making mercury more toxic than it would otherwise be. But a lot of these fat-soluble um, toxins uh, are detoxed through sulfation, but glyphosate messes up sulfation big time. I've, I've written a lot about that. It's, it's complicated, but it messes up most of the enzymes that are involved in sulfate synthesis. And also the, uh, the, ca the carriers, it depletes the the molecules that transport sulfate to, to deliver it to uh, to the whole to all the tissue. So we have a systemic sulfate deficiency problem in the presence of chronic glyphosate exposure, and I think that's a major driver behind all these diseases. I would yeah, mold is also um, we're we're noticing a lot of people with mold issues have the um, sulfation issues that 
when they try to eat those good cruciferous veggies, it backfires on them. They don't feel good on it either. Right. But then that brings you back to glyphosate too, because mm-hmm. it, glyphosate starts depleting all these critical things that you need to remove mycotoxin. Like you run out of all your antioxidants, right? And you need yeah, yeah, the mycotoxins are, are the things that are getting detoxed through the process that glyphosate is blocking. So the mycotoxins that are produced by the uh, fungus are much more toxic than they oh, would yeah. otherwise be yeah. because the glyphosate is messing up the body's yeah. ability to hear them. Hmm. Just to explain to people having suffered from mold toxicity for two years, um, that there's the mold spores and then the mycotoxins that are released are dead, but more dangerous Mm -hmm. than spores themselves. And they are excited by things such as Syncogeo. Dr. (laughs) Klinghart did did a study where he had a Petri dish and one was... uh, well, had a Faraday cage, and then the other was exposed to electromagnetic pollution, EMFs, and it released my- mycotoxins by 600 times ah, uh, an increased, wow. increased rate. And so also there's the, the, the thought that these EMFs are exciting, like the fungus inside of us or the viruses yeah. inside of us, and that's what's making us ill. Right. That's quite possible, I think. So it was interesting with um, your your work, Stephanie, on biodiesel fuel and glyphosate. Yes, I was. Um, I've got a friend. I can't really talk about his name. He likes to stay quiet, but I do have a friend that um, used to build the towers, the cell towers, and um, was um, with connected with the FCC. And he explained to me, for instance, the five G. What it's not going to be spread out like 3G and 4G, but it's going to have a direct line of fire, a direct beam. And wherever it's beaming, beam, beaming that signal to, that's all like magnetic up in that beam. So when people are driving down the street in their cars and then all that nanoparticulate and all that pollution, mm. their exhaust gets up in that, that magnetic area. And then you have the kid riding the bicycle down the street or the lady walking the dog and they go through that field and they breathe in all that nanoparticulate from all that um, carbon emission because it's laying right through that direct line of fire. And that's what's dangerous about it because it just, it yeah, sucks. Yeah, that's very in interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That the EMFs might be affecting the nanoparticles in such a way as to make them more toxic. I think that's a very interesting research topic that needs to be investigated. Yeah. I've, oh. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, I uh, the nanoparticles are really interesting because there've been not now I've seen four studies so far, one from the US, one from UK, one from Italy and one from multiple countries in Europe where they showed uh correlations between uh the particulate matter in the uh, in the air pollution and COVID-19, uh, death from COVID-19 that the people who had who were in places where there were higher levels of air pollution had like higher Wuhan. death rates. Like Wuhan. Well, exactly. Yes, that's right. Well, of course, Lombardy in, in, in Italy is a very, has very toxic air. New York City is not particularly great. New York City is actually a leader in the biofuel industry. So they've got a lot of biodiesel and whatnot. And the biofuels are actually, people have done studies comparing biodiesel to regular diesel. And they found biodiesel has, uh, is, much more, is much worse than diesel in terms of the uh, nanoparticles and also in terms of the nitrogen oxide and the sulfur dioxide. The, uh, the things that are considered to be toxic in air pollution are higher in the biofuels than they are in the regular fuels. But of course, no one's looking for glyphosate in the biofuels. 
But what's interesting to me, especially with this COVID-19 situation, is that I look, I've been looking at different countries around the world. Some countries have ridiculously low death rates, like, for example, uh, Taiwan. They've been amazing. You know, it's, it's got their cities are not particularly clean. I, I lived in Taipei for several months and it, it was polluted air. I almost couldn't stand the air in Taipei. They have had only six deaths from from uh, from coronavirus total so far. And they've only had about 400 infections. So extremely low rates of, of infection, uh, despite not particularly healthy air in their cities. Nigeria is another one I looked at. So if you look at Africa, South Africa stands out as having the worst infection of all the countries in Africa. South Africa also stands out as being the one that's had glyphosate usage long and deep. And they, they were into, Monsanto was introduced into Africa, South Africa, 40 years ago, almost that, you know, shortly after the U.S. started using glyphosate, South Africa started using it. So they have used much more glyphosate than any other country in Africa. They have by far the highest rate of COVID-19 infection and death. Nigeria has incredibly toxic air. They said 90, I read that 94% of the people in Nigeria have levels of uh, nanoparticles in their air, in their air supply that is um, higher than what WHO considers to be safe. And the, the worst city in the world is in Nigeria in terms of the nanoparticles in the air. Yet Nigeria has one one hundredth as many deaths from uh, COVID nineteen as the U.S. Compared to the U.S., one you know, like it's it's like five per million in in uh, Nigeria of the population, and it's five hundred per million in the United States deaths from COVID. So it's really interesting. They have the air pollution, but they don't have the deaths. And that's because you know, they don't have the glyphosate. That's what I think. It's because they don't have the glyphosate. Like I was thinking what came to mind was living in Athens. Like I, I had um, basically a flare up uh, years ago when I lived in Athens, but I'm sure there's not a lot of glyphosate because it's a city, but it's super, the air pollution is horrid in, in uh, Athens, for instance. Right. I mean, there's other things in the air that make it, make it, uh, you know, cause asthma and things like that. It's not just the glyphosate, but I think the glyphosate is the, is the thing you need to make the air pollution cause um, severe outbreak of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. I think the people who have been exposed to glyphosate have a very weak immune system in the lungs. The virus comes in and it multiplies profusely. They can't clear it and then they cough it up and then they spread it. So, so many more people get it and then they get the, uh, you know, they can't breathe. They get this kind of acute reaction where they end up in the ICU on a ventilator, and that's you know, really breathe. bad news. Just, just yeah. a coincidence. Yeah, I can't do it. I know that I can't breathe in the car eleven times before he ever got put on the ground, which he asked to be put on. Oh Sorry. It's interesting. Uh, talking about them not being able to breathe, right? Well, we we notice what leaves. What does leave the red blood cell? Heme and oxygen. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah, well, I, mean, I have a very interesting story about that, and I've written about it, actually. I, I wrote about it in an um, article that I published in one of the um, web journals. Um, heme oxygenase is, a, uh, is an enzyme that goes on fire. When people have an acute reaction to COVID-19, they get an inflammatory response, an extreme inflammatory response, even in their blood vessels. And then that inflammatory response triggers the overproduction of heme oxygenase, which breaks down heme. And heme oxygenase is actually protective. So it, you cause the heme oxygenase to happen. You break down the heme and you produce the biliverdin, and bilirubin. And bilirubin is a super, super antioxidant. So you're actually, you know, fixing the problem, if you will, through the breakdown of heme. Of course, you're also losing heme, which means you're losing oxygen. You can't breathe. But <laughs> aside from that, you're actually trying to recover from the inflammatory response. But the problem is heme oxygenase has a glycine residue at the place where it binds heme. 
And they have shown in studies that people have a mutation where that glycine is not glycine. It causes it to backfire. Heme oxygenase does not work. It can't break down the heme and it releases what's called feral iron, F-E-R-R-Y-L, plus four iron, which is extremely toxic. And the plus four iron uh, causes the inflammation to go on fire. It, it escalates the inflammatory response. And so you get a complete meltdown. If you have a version of heme oxygenase that has this glycine mutation. So I think glyphosate is disrupting heme oxygenase by replacing the glycine that is causing heme oxygenase to not be able to break down heme and causing this kind of feedback loop that's causing the inflammation to become completely out of control. Can, can I ask you a question in regards to um, the heme uh, flavored the meatless meat that Billy Boy <laughs> Gates is making. What, is, there, is there any downside to heat eating? It's made out of heme, right? It's made out of a um, out of a molecule that's very much like heme that's being produced by. I believe they've engineered the E. coli to make a large quantities of this heme-like uh, plant-based heme. It's a plant-based kind of heme. It's not the same as our heme, but it gives that meat-like like taste. And I also suspect that they're feeding those E. coli nutrients that are contaminated with glyphosate. I, I actually would never dare to eat one of those uh, veggie burgers that's synthetic uh, yeast. I'm uh, nervous about many uh, drugs that are being developed where they use, they've been genetically engineering yeast uh, to produce yeast? Uh, yeast, yeast, you said? Yeah, they grow the yeast and they produce, they change the yeast DNA so they can overproduce some particular protein that they're trying to manufacture. And they rely on the yeast and make the protein, a human protein, for example, they can insert a human protein like insulin into the yeast genome and get the yeast to make this um, excess amounts of this protein in order to provide the supply. Um, these, these things are going on in, uh, in the pharma industry. And I would be nervous about all of those things, particularly about the possibility of glyphosate being in there. And I wanted to say, by the way, that they found glyphosate in vaccines, uh, both Anthony Samsel and Zen Honeycutt independently tested a number of different vaccines and they found they both independently found the highest levels by far in the MMR vaccine. Mm. And I suspect that that's part of the reason why MMR is causing autism is because you're injecting glyphosate on top of the all the other issues that are all the other toxic things that are in the vaccines. Yeah, it's amazing how many people are going to run to get this RNA vaccine that's never been tested. Oh, you know, Stephanie, they, um, the the one by Moderna is go, going to use lipid nanoparticle. Um, probably, it looks like it's going to be the squalene. Oh, um, boy. oh boy, that's horrible. I Oh, gosh. It's going to be the LMP squalene. Yeah, but the thing is, sorry, the thing is, let's say they're doing 30,000 uh, clinic. Uh, and they're testing it on on us human guinea pigs. I mean, isn't it a matter of time before? Uh, I don't know if maybe it produ- it, it pronounces the Im- negative impacts like a year later or something. Then it's like, isn't it going to come out that this is we're basically genetically modifying human beings more than they already are because they're eating genetically modified foods. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am very suspicious of this RNA vaccine, and I'm I, generally suspicious of vaccines. I think the whole concept of vaccines is a broken concept. You know, we've come to believe so much in vaccines, we just accept them as being a phenomenal, you know, part of the, of the uh, pharmaceutical arsenal to fight disease. And um, there's so much wrong with vaccines. We don't even understand what these viruses are doing and what they're for. Viruses are really agents of change. I think they are 
the critical piece of the puzzle in genetic, in evolution. Viruses are enabling evolution. And uh, I think that if the virus works properly, it actually is a benefit. And they've shown, for example, when people caught the measles as a child, they have long lasting benefit from that measles infection. Even later on in life, they have lower rates of things like heart disease and cancer. People don't understand why, but the virus is doing something very, very interesting. And uh, almost, you know, I'd almost say like intelligent design. I mean, it's so amazing how how biology works and it's really beautiful. And I think that this, I suspect this virus that we're seeing right now is in some sense tuned. I think it might even be tuned to glyphosate. Like it has, it's sort of, this become a sort of collective awareness among the biology of the world, the life forms that there's a problem with this glyphosate and this virus is attempting to uh, fix that problem, actually to go in and make you better off um, to help strengthen your immune system you mean yeah fix uh straighten up the things that glyphosate is causing and uh if you have been sufficiently exposed to glyphosate you can't uh you can't fix you can't follow the fixing program correctly so you end up dying but if you have had less glyphosate you'll probably be better off after catching the virus than you would have been before i would guess that just the same as measles measles and mumps have both been shown to have benefit i think um Hmm. You know, I have a whole thing about glyphosate and deuterium that I've been working on, which is extremely interesting. And I think glyphosate disrupts the body's uh, ability to handle deuterium properly. And I think the virus is trying to help to fix the deuterium problem. But it goes awry when you get situations like hemoxygenase getting messed up and all of that. You just can't, your organism can't cope with all of that disruption and it just, you just die. Can you tell people who, what deuterium is for them who don't, people who don't know? Yeah, it's really fascinating. And I actually only got into the deuterium last December. And I've been, that's another thing that I've been super deuterium interested water in. water that you're looking at? Deuterium is in, is in water. It's actually a natural uh, form of uh, hydrogen. It's a heavy hydrogen and it has an extra neutron. So hydrogen is the smallest uh, atom. It has just a pro- one proton and one electron. And deuterium has one proton, one electron and one neutron. So it's twice as heavy as hydrogen. And it's a natural component of water. It's found in seawater at about 155 parts per million. But there are lots and lots and lots of deuterium atoms in our body. And our metabolism has developed a very, very sophisticated and elegant mechanism to deplete, to decrease the amount of deuterium that shows up in the mitochondria. And deuterium is like putting, deuterium in the mitochondria is like putting sugar in the gas tank. It messes up the mitochondria's ability to make ATP and it causes them to release a lot of um, reactive oxygen species that, you know, the, the ROS that are so destructive to the cell. So when, so the cell has these incredibly fascinating enzymes that are able to select against deuterium and provide the mitochondria with deuterium depleted water. It's really, really interesting stuff. Yeah. And glyphosate. Yeah. Sorry. So I've heard of Robert Slovak because I have. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. He makes uh, our molecular hydrogen that I put in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. So I can say something about that because yeah. the bacteria, There's a, I found a paper from something like the 1960s. It was so interesting. They studied um, the bacteria were able to produce hydrogen. Bacteria produce hydrogen gas in your gut. And they found out that that hydrogen gas was severely depleted in deuterium. It only had like 20 instead of 155. It only had 20 parts per million of uh, deuterium. So I think in the gut, um, the microbes actually make hydrogen gas and then they convert it back into organic matter. Like they make methane from it and then they make sulfur, you know, hydrogen sulfide gas and all these um, uh, 
organic molecules come back from the hydrogen gas as in a deuterium depleted form. So it's a mechanism by which the bacteria produce deplete, deuterium depleted nutrients for our cells. And so, for example, fat has low deuterium. So fat is produced from these from the methane that's coming from the hydrogen gas that's produced by the bacteria with very low deuterium. It's really, really fascinating. There's yeah. these special enzymes that can select against deuterium when they make a product, they put hydrogen, not deuterium. And those enzymes, almost all of them are affected by glyphosate in a big way because they bind phosphate. They bind the phosphate of NAD, actually. So you get back to the NAD problem at a site where they have three highly conserved glycine residues. And I think the glyphosate is messing up those enzymes. They're called flavoenzymes. It's such fascinating science. And um, to preventing them from producing this deuterium depleted water, which is causing mitochondrial stress and mitochondrial, you know, all kinds of problems with the mitochondria. I mean, arguably everything is a mito. These issues are mitochondrial dysfunction. Yes. Molecular hydrogen helps with uh, hydrating basically the, the mitochondria. And um, absolutely. Well, that's how you get the low deuterium because the hydrogen gas is probably low deuterium. The, um, deuterium sticks in the liquid form more better so the, when you make a gas the same thing with hydrogen sulfide so hydrogen sulfide and hydrogen gas are both going to be deuterium depleted because that's what's leaving the liquid phase so the deuterium being heavier wants to stay in the liquid phase so there's a natural um, selection for hydrogen over deuterium when you make a gas so the hydrogen gas is really, really interesting. I, when I first heard about hydrogen gas, I was like, I don't understand what that's about, you know. <laughs> but then when I learned about deuterium, I was like, oh, of course, that's, how, that's why hydrogen gas makes so much sense. So Mercola promotes it. And I think it's a yeah, and you I use make it. it. Right? I make molecular hydrogen called Hydra. And uh, I just got my first shipment to the jungle. So oh, you have it too. <laughs> oh, Excellent. yeah, I've been putting, I call, ours is called Hydra. And um, it's Doctor, it's Robert Slovak that that uh, ma makes it for us, and he's considered the grandfather of reverse osmosis. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean that brings us to, to water. I've I've interviewed Aaron Brockovich of you know how how crappy and dangerous the water is in America. I can't yes. speak for other places, but in, in America, I would never drink the tap water. Mm -hmm. To tell you guys about the water I drink because it's yeah. really. Good. Um, Stephanie, um, you're going to be uh, amazed by it. Um, I'm actually going to be interviewing um, the man who patented this water technology. Um, we know about the four phase of water. It's the gel-like substance, yes. right, in the cell. Well, what that does is that gas is off into fifth phase, ditetra gas. Hmm. You go right here. The second you put this in your mouth, you hydrate every cell in your body. Is that fifth phase water? Is that That's what it's called? It's stable for two years in this bottle. And it makes hydrogen, oxygen, redox. It polarizes you. It brings back your negative ion charge to make the, and then you make the hydrogen, oxygen, and redox. This stuff um, is amazing. Um, we have one guy that um, he, he um, jumps from 22,000 feet skydives with no oxygen. Wow. He, Record. And the reason he does is because he drinks a liter of this before he goes up in that plane and he does need, not need to go do oxygen at, after 10,000 feet. Then we have another guy who climbs the highest peak in Russia. It's 18,000 feet. The record was around nine, nine and a half hours with oxygen after about 6,000 feet. He drinks 
a total of three liters of these going up and down that mountain. It's those 18,000 feet without oxygen and comes down the, up and down that mountain in five and a half hours. Wow. Okay. Where can we get the Wata? Um, <laughs> Aquanutrum, um, very interesting. I'm try, I, I, I do not have any vested interest, guys. I just believe in it so much. But um, it also has a Florida State University study on it where um, it prevented the heme the, the heme leaving the red blood cell um, kept all the red blood cells oxygenated and prevented oxidative damage to vitamin C and iron. It, it's got studies proven on it. We actually have a friend of ours that's a nurse in um, Houston. She works in one of the COVID wards. The 14 nurses that work in that ward, 13 of them got COVID and got really sick. She drinks two liters of this a day, didn't. It keeps the heme in the red blood cell, and it keeps the vitamin C. And is it also easy to purchase? Huh? Is it is it easy to purchase? Like, can I sell it on on Honey Colony? When you um, probably you could. Um, he does have um, affiliates. Affiliates, but, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. To get it out of the country, you have to buy it by the pallet. Unfortunately. Um, no, now, I'll sell uh, it in America. I don't. It's, it's very difficult to bring anything to Costa Rica. Yeah, you usually have to order it by by the pallet. But we've also had um, where he has actually this man deserves a Nobel Prize. His name's Rob Gorley. He really deserves a Nobel Prize. He created where you can just breathe in the direct ditetra gas, and he had he had a three year old little girl who was ejected from a car window, had complete brain rotation. They had to remove her skull, re-rotate her brain, put her skull back on. All she could do was stammer and flail for about three years and stutter a word every one to three minutes. After her first treatment of getting the direct fifth phase water gas state, breathing it in, within 45 minutes, she said her first sentence. She said, wow. Mom, I like this stuff. After yeah. about five treatments, walking, running, playing, and she's in school. And there's more stories. Sickle cell anemia. Um, the cells are no longer shaped like icicles on a little boy. They're shaped like rice grains now. Fifth phase wow. water. The only just, technology in the world is in this bottle. It's just it's so it just shows the importance of hydration and also oxygenation. And you wonder, you know, you're putting all these people on vents and intubating them instead of using oxygen canola or sending them to a hyperbaric chamber, which has been very helpful in my life, getting into a hyperbaric chamber. It's, it's just like, it's just which path do you take? It's like HCQ is being politicized, is being uh, demonified or vilified because it's, it's, it's uh, touted by President Trump, but it's still allopathic medicine and allopathic medicine is still the third leading cause of death. And there's many ways to reach Rome. There's many, you know, there's many paths so, I mean, I would just oxygenate or, I mean, I wouldn't use HCQ personally. I, I'm not saying it shouldn't be available or be used early on, but I would use curcutin yeah. or another, or quinine. When you look at the, where, you know, HCQ started in, in, in 1638 from the Chacona tree, uh, I believe. So, and it's been used for a long time, but I would just go personally as a functional medicine consultant coach to, to the source. Um, I wanted to ask you about HCQ as far as have either of you heard of it being a nanoparticle enhancer? 
No, um, I, I, anything could be a nanoparticle enhancer. For instance, TRS is used to um, remove heat, heavy metals out the body, but they use TRS, um, something similar to TRS zeolite, to bring the vaccines, for example, into What's the body. What's TRS? Sorry. Uh, zeolite. Zeolite. Okay. All right. So anything has its good points or bad points like this right here, this bottle right here, hydrates every bit cell in my body instantaneously. It's actually like being in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. As much as I drink, I'm like in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber 24 seven, okay? And um, with that, this water, for example, okay? It, since it, this water hydrates my cell, it could be a drive to bring a nanoparticulate in me. So I don't say everybody go run away from this water because it's gonna put nanites in you that are bad. Um, so what HCQ does at 200 milligrams is it kind of instantly alkalines your cells. Mm. And when you get that alkalinity, so you can get things like zinc in the cell wall. And then when you look at the ACE2 receptor, that angiotensin two gene, what it does is it highly depends on chloride pH and it highly, highly depends on zinc. Okay. Um, so it, it just, so these people that are saying that HCQ doesn't work, it's dangerous. Oh yes. It's dangerous when they're giving 2,500, 2,400 milligrams to somebody, they're going to bleach them to death. They're going to poison them. Okay. And they give it without the zinc too, because the zinc yeah. is what it's good at is to help the zinc to get in. But if there's We're no zinc, in it's the not game. going to do that. Mm -hmm. It drops into the cell. So it, it is taking that particulate of that zinc, the hydroxychloroquine, and it is driving it into the cell. Yeah. You know? And so, the zinc is very important for detoxing, for her handling COVID. Do you, does it matter? I, I, when I have it, but I'm not a zinc picolinate. Do you differentiate which type of zinc to take? Oh, me? No. <laughs> I would take foods that are rich in zinc, like oysters. <laughs> and what else is rich in zinc for people to, to know? Yeah, I'm, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, spinach, I, I was saying spinach is really. Yeah. Although it has oxalates. Well, if you have your cells hydrated, you're going to remove the oxalate. Yeah, I had high high oxalates, so I stay away from them. Maybe we can also touch upon like I I studied metabolomics. Um, there's metabolites, and so for people who want to know maybe about their genetic SNPs, uh, I mean, I I used Twenty Three and Me before they were purchased by whichever pharmaceutical and had you know Susan Wojcicki's sister or whatever's paws well, all any, over it. Sorry. Anyway. I, I, I actually lectured on the glyoxylate metabolic process at Autism One um, because I, I started following Stephanie in the glyphosate and then it led me down the rabbit hole to the glyoxylate metabolic process. So glyphosate is a huge factor on the breakdown of oxalic acid as well. And Stephanie will agree with that. Yeah, also I, she actually introduced me to oxalate and then I studied it too. And I've got, it, I've got some things worked out as well. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, but this, um, this, what's all right there, there's actually a, a pilot study on it. Um, and on the pilot study on aquanu.com, they talk about, um, um, they, they, what they did is they, 
they took eight children with autism and then they took their parents too. And they did their organic acid testing through Great Plains. And um, all they did is the pediatrician that was doing the pilot study, she put them on this fifth phase water. And what they amazingly saw was every one of them had significant drops in their oxalic acid levels. Also, they started utilizing their um, amino acids and started utilizing their B vitamins and they had drops in yeast, but fungal and bacterial markers. That's how important the fourth phase of water is to get into your cell to gas off into the fifth phase, the gaseous state, which is ditetra. And um, this is so hugely important. That gets the cells to communicate. When the cells are communicating, guess what? Leaky gut disappears because leaky gut is part of it is lack of cell communication. But um, what is so interesting is now leading back to this um, fifth phase of water working on these people would lead me to believe that things like glyphosate and aluminum that are kind of clogging up everything to prevent the fourth phase of water to get in that cell are playing a huge role in who has oxalate issues. Yeah, I can comment on the oxalate with respect to glyphosate because I think I've worked out the pathway by which glyphosate causes oxalate excess. It's mm. pretty straightforward because there's an enzyme in the liver called PEPCK, phosphoenolpyruvate carboxykinase. Really, really important uh, uh, enzyme that uh, works for gluconeogenesis to produce glucose from other sources like fats and, and uh, lactate. And uh, that enzyme has a setup where it binds uh, a phos it binds PEP, which is the same thing that PEP that the EPSP synthase binds. So that enzyme has an exact same setup as EPSP synthase as far as having a highly conserved glycine residue, some positively charged amino acids that hold the phosphate. It's exactly the same setup binding to PEP as for the enzyme that glyphosate famously disrupts. So I think it's also being disrupted by glyphosate, and that would exactly explain why glyphosate causes fatty liver disease. Because if you mess up that enzyme, you get fatty liver disease. But also that enzyme converts oxaloacetate to PEP. So when that gets blocked, oxaloacetate builds up. And then that goes down a different pathway to make oxalate. And in fact, the, the yeast are very good at doing that. So the yeast end up flourishing on the excess oxaloacetate, turning it into oxalate and then causing oxalate excess. So that's, I think, a pretty straightforward story biochemically for those who, <laughs> who know biochemistry, but. Well, I was going to, so sorry, I, I wanted to just give tips to people who want to find out about their genetic SNPs or their metabolites. Like I offer Dutch tests to look at your organic acids. And so you can test out where your hormones are or, or I was saying to take the 23andMe and then upload it to Prometheus to look at your, your genetic SNPs um, so just to, to empower people with some tools. Like what, what do you both suggest? Well, me, I've got my own, um, I've got my own app over at mthf4support.com. I look at over 2,000 singular nucleotide polymorphisms on people, and I have them sectioned out in phase one liver detox, phase two neurotransmitters, glyoxylate metabolic pathway, iron upregulation. Um, I've got I, I, an eye section with beta carotene. I've got a thyroid section, IgA, IgG, IgM. And then I also have a COVID report that has all the 
main genes that are playing a role at mthfrsupport.com. I don't have, I never ever put what to put what, what you should do, because just because you have a snip of something does not mean it's epigenetically expressing. Now, right. for instance, if you come to me and you are a diabetic, I am going to first hugely focus on the pentose phosphate pathway. I call that the sugar diabetes cancer pathway and also phase one liver detox before I'm going to talk to you about anything else in that report, because you got to get that phase one liver detox and that sugar down to get sulfation working, to get methylation working. Um, so I have all those sections, um, depending on saliva what- Saliva um, Is it saliva, pee, or blood? What is it? Uh, well, it depends on what test you've done, either from 23andMe or Ancestry DNA, and you can take your raw data and you run it through my variant reports. Um, I have an adjuvant one where I studied all the excipients and adjuvants in the vaccines and I have a, and the glyphosate contamination. And I have a list, 33,000 lines and growing of what DNA um, can be impacted by what excipients and adjuvants. And then I built an excipient adjuvant report too. So like if you see a lot of red where mercury is, you kind of want to avoid mercury. If you see a lot of red where aluminum is and you're impaired, like I have the G6PDs in there, you're going to want to avoid aluminum. I have, you know, if you have a lot of aldehyde genes impaired, you're going to want to avoid formaldehyde. So, Which you should be avoiding anyway, not, not to should, but I mean, it's not like... Yeah, I don't want to cause epigenetic expression of anything because you don't have to have anything impaired to cause an epigenetic expression. You just have to have the right amount of toxin and it's going to become impaired. Yeah, I can't stress enough epigenetics and and how they turn on and off and, and how our environment and our thoughts and everything what what we surround ourselves in the impact that it has in pronouncing itself on our in our immune system and in our bodies i mean it's it's huge and and uh undervalued yes it is it most definitely is and this is kind of like why I don't like those um, small variant report, um, genetic reports that people get where it's just, oh, check the Compton's, um, look at the um, MTHFR. Oh, you have MTHFR, let me throw you a bunch of methylfolate. You got to go in different steps. Um, methylation is your last phase to work on. You know, like Stephanie's talking about how important sulfation is in phase one liver detox. You got to get phase one liver detox and sulfation working because if you don't have them working and you throw in a bunch of methyl B12 and methyl folate, you'll get a phone call from that. Oh, this person's gone mad on it. Well, yeah, because um, the sulfation's not working um, and um, the phase one liver detox. Got to fix those pathways first. So we kind of look at different things in small little different sections um, to keep your health up. Now we look at other certain genes, like if we see you have um, hereditary hemochromatosis uh, mutations, or let's say factor V Leiden or factor II for thrombin, those are definitely things you would want to, you know, e even if you're not having healthy issues yet, you know, every uh, a couple of times a year, go to the doctor and say, hey, I want to, you know, see what's going on with the platelets, fibrinogen, C-reactive protein, or I want to see what's going on um, with ferritin and, and blood and 
you know, different parts of blood, red blood cells, white blood cells, heme, everything. So um, there's certain things, yeah, you want to keep an eye on throughout life. That way you can um, start fixing it once you start having epigenetic expression. But, um, you know, a lot of things, as long as you're healthy, you don't have to worry that you have MTHFR as long as you're healthy. Um, but when your vaccine injured, like these children with autism, yes, they have to worry about, oh, I have MTHFR. Well, we need to go through those steps and then get the folate in them. Because a lot of these children with autism have cerebral folate deficiency. And I'm pretty sure Stephanie could take over there. Yes, I, I did a whole talk on folate uh, at Western Price and uh, it was very, very interesting. And and the cerebral folate deficiency in particular is interesting because I what Can I you learned, just explain what folate that it's a it's a it's a B in the B, B family. Yeah, so it's just a B to vitamin. to people. Right, it's a B vitamin. It actually comes out of the chicken pathway. Uh, let's see, I'm not sure that's true. Many of the B vitamins do. Niacin and uh, riboflavin both come out of the chicken pathway, but I'm not sure about folate. So I'll take that back. But um, am I making noise? I've got. No, it became muffled for some reason. I, I also want to tell people that folate is, synth, there's a synthetic folate exactly. that's that's stuck into a lot of foods that people don't realize that's wreaking havoc, if you can talk about that. That's exactly what was the topic of my talk at Western Pride, folic acid versus folate, methylfolate versus folic acid, which are very, very different things. And folic acid, when you take folic acid, which is what they use as a supplement and have that in the food, you know, it's required in the weed and whatnot it's not a good thing to take at all and the gut microbes don't know what to do with it so they ship it to the liver and the liver has to convert it to folate and has to add the methyl so that's causing the liver to consume important antioxidant capacity as well as methylation capacity in order to turn that folic acid into something useful but your your sound sorry to interrupt you again but it sounds like you're in a tunnel is it just i think it's probably oh there you got better it became better for a second i've got uh lawn going. No, on, it's not the lawn. It was your, it's something happened with your sound, right? <laughs> or is it okay to repeat if people don't, if you don't mind, because it's, it's very important. If you can repeat that about the folate. That's what I was saying. I had this lawnmower was going outside the door here. That's why I was, is that better now? It is better. Yeah. Okay. I closed the door. Okay. May, may you repeat what you were saying, Dr. Stephanie? Yeah. Yeah. So folic acid, you know, and they put it in as a, as a um, fortification of the wheat and stuff It's required by law in the United States. And I think it may be a factor in why wheat is toxic um, because it's not a useful thing at all. It just makes the liver have to work really hard to fix it, to turn it into methylfolate. And if the liver says, look, there's too much of this folic acid. I can't deal with it. Just lets it go into the bloodstream as folic acid. Then it can bind to the receptors in the brain. Folate receptors in the brain and block the folate from coming in. So it actually works the exact opposite of what it's supposed to do. It prevents the folate from getting into the brain and causes this brain cerebral folate deficiency syndrome that's a consequence of, a, of the receptors being tied up by the folic acid. So people take tons of folic acid because they think they need it, and then they completely ruin their uh, brain's ability to have adequate amounts of folate. In, in vitamin uh, um, Sorry, go ahead, sorry. Stephanie, also what we notice are these people, again, with uh, iron upregulation issues, they're taking high doses of the folic acid, folic. Um, they're 
I mean, their liver, their the iron gets more damaged. They have it's the ferritin's up there, and a lot of these people too. Interesting. And then you yeah. them off the synthetic one, and you tell them to start juicing. You know, get get a lot more green foods in there if you can't take the methylfolate, because some people are sensitive to it. You know, just eat salads, do some green juicing, yes. get it in there, um, because we notice that the synthetic folic acid also. Um, causes the people with iron upregulation issues to have more damage to their liver. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's a bad, uh, it's it's really sad that they don't seem, I don't understand why the governments aren't smarter about what they decide to put oh, into I the food. I think they're poisoning us and they know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> I, I tend to lean that direction too. Come like on, it's unfortunate, but when you see this amount of toxicity and these people, not only are they not stopping it, but they're you know, they, right. they're promoting it. And then, I mean, you, you know, just like Mariam was saying earlier, I mean, studies have clearly shown that the healthcare system is like, is the third largest cause of death just participating in it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, right. they're not, they're not helping people, right? They're not trying. Why are they going after the compounding pharmacies? Why are they, because they're trying to, a lot of these like turmeric or curcumin, they're, they're trying to patent so that they can make money. There was one GABA um, derivative that I was using to sleep and I purchased it on a Friday and they met, they took the credit card um, number wrong and Monday I called and the FDA had pulled it and even though uh. it on the records they couldn't send me the, um, the mm-hmm. I forget what it what it was but they had banned it and uh. I covered the compounding pharmacies the attack on the compounding pharmacies so I think they know exactly what they're doing and then when you come to the realization, I mean, blowing the whistle like more than a decade on the poisons, thanks to the bees, that they are slowly poisoning us. We are the bees, slowly being poisoned. And it's this is, they know. Yeah, it was a, quite an epiphany for me some time back when I really became convinced that it's in their best interest to keep us sick. You know, mm-hmm. they've got a great thing going. They just keep us sick. And then we just, we're stuck buying all these uh, toxic pharmaceutical drugs because we've got all these health issues and they yeah. we think that those it's, are going to actually help us when in fact, they're probably making the situation worse. It's 20% of the economy. I mean, they're sucking 20% of the U S economy out of everybody's pockets just to to keep them somewhat sick, you know, on a, a low, low level toxic their entire lives. So they constantly need these medicines. <laughs> it's really insane. It's yeah. just so disturbing. I think it just has to collapse. I mean, I know there's a lot of people be, uh, waking up these days and I'm hopeful that we're going to hit some critical mass where there will be what I would call a revolution in the healthcare industry. And we'll, so people will sweep over to the other side with a nu- nutritional, you know, solutions rather than pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, uh-huh. I'm hoping. Well, it's it's actually amazing to me to listen because I, I have been, I mean, I, I've actually been attracted to this kind of medicine for a long time. And I've learned a few supplements here and there that have helped me out quite a bit for my particular problems. But, I, you know, it's it's like I've never really been exposed to the big picture like what you guys are talking about today, at least not nearly in this depth. And it would be... Um, I don't know, you know, it'd be interesting to almost like, what could you say? And I don't necessarily want you to simplify it down, but what is the difference? I mean, it appears to me that science, despite the fact that the pharmaceutical industry has been pushing it in this particular direction, which it seems more and more toxic, 
and uh, less and less focused on, on actually curing people, but instead masking symptoms for long periods of time. Nonetheless, in the last hundred years, science has continued to progress. And, you know, the scientists such as yourselves who've, you know, chosen to go this naturopathic route uh, have taken biochemistry to the next level. I mean, the stuff that you are now able to describe and understand about how the human body works and then, you know, able through diet and supplementation to to actually and, and through detoxification to really be able to help people. I mean, this is you know, it's just, it's almost is miraculous. The, mm-hmm. the, you know, what, what has happened in terms of this big picture understanding of biochemistry and, and how it could really be helping people. It's just amazing that it's not out there, you know, that more people don't understand it. And I guess it gets complicated pretty quickly and the medical schools aren't teaching it, you know, right. I mean, it's, it's almost something that individuals just have to become passionate about and learn about and participate in. Um, so, but nonetheless, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, what humanity has learned in terms of, of the biochemistry that you guys are discussing and, and uh, how it really could, like you're talking about, Dr. Seneff, a revolution needs to happen in healthcare and we need to switch yes. over, like from what they're doing to us to actually being empowered to, to live healthy lives. Yes, I, yeah, I agree. I, I admire Dr. Mercola. I don't know if you guys know Dr. Mercola. Yeah, because he's in a real, really big battle right now with pharma, and he's he's hitting hard. They're hitting him hard, and he's hitting hard he's back. Public it's, enemy number one. one of yeah, he's like I guess fascism and gulag. The Google. Yeah, yeah. And he he's fighting back. <laughs> so. He's on Infowars today. He was on Infowars. Oh, was he? Oh, wow, that's great. <laughs> you know, it's interesting how you get forced to the other side. You know, I watched the uh, the Health Ranger. You know, because he sort of. Mike Adams, he, he he moved more and more to the left. I mean, he just got more and more, or to the right, I guess it is. I'm not sure which, but more yeah. and more <laughs> radical, you know, over time. He was orig- originally, you know, just a guy who was kind of promoting, you know, selling some nutritional supplements and whatnot. And he got radicalized by the mainstream because they yep. cornered him. You know, they just attack you so viciously and then you just become a different person. You, you're forced yep. into this extreme I'm- position. Mm-hmm by the industry, you know, when you get targeted like that, it's quite interesting to see. Sure. I, I admire Mercola because he can really stand his own. Mary M., the, uh, you too, you've been attacked Yeah, a bit. I've been attacked and I'm not a Mercola. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mercola has bodyguards. Uh, Miriam doesn't have bodyguards. And Miriam's part of Operation Quack Hack. So mm-hmm. this is an actual attack against natural remedies by the FDA, the DOJ, the FTC. Senator Schum- Schumer is all for it. They just, um, they just went to Colombia and arrested Mark and his son, Joseph, who I had interviewed, in, and he's in a jail cell in Bogota. And uh, many of us that they're parading, the FDA commissioner arguably was tweeting against Honey Colony, my company, while under quarantine, tweeting, shaming my, my company for selling vitamin C, for selling silver. And again, I'm not a Dr. Mercola. So... He, he lost 99% of his traffic because of Google. Yeah. I lost 76% of my traffic. And um, I would have been a wealthy woman helping humans and now barely making ends meet because they've attacked my traffic. And now they're creating a magic spell to 
people have forgotten that they have an immune system. And this attack has been going on for a really long time since they Rockefeller medicine hijacked, you know, this is, this is going back to the Flexner report mm-hmm. and, and this is evil. Again, pharmacia means sorcery. Wow. Yeah. Well, what are the steps that people should take? I mean, if they're really just f- learning about this, you know, where where do you go? What kind of doctors are you looking for? How do you learn? Um, it seems like a big part of it is detoxification. You know, where would you go and how would you go about like getting this phase one detox? Or, you know, just just try to describe for the audience maybe how to, how to get an introduction in, into all of this and where you'd start. Well, um, I, I would start finding um, some type of practitioner that I resonate that I would resonate with. What I basically do is just read reports and bullet point them out for the practitioners, the doctors, and the nurse practitioners, and the doctors of osteopathy, the chiropractors that that they want to. You know, they don't have a, t- a lot of time to go through the raw data and the DNA. So I like to bullet point out what I see with their health history and their labs. And then give it over to the doctor. And, and then the doctors are always like, yeah, you know, you, you are absolutely right. I checked these levels of this and this was messed up. But then finding somebody like Mary Ann, because I know she she's a practitioner. If you resonate with her, go to her. I mean, everybody's going to resonate with different practitioners. I'm not a practitioner. Sorry, I'm a oh, consultant and coach. But but I work. Sorry to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, you're a health coach, but you know, you can give them good advice on, you know, healthy foods, healthy ways of eating and stuff. I mean, a lot of people can look at this, but then when you get the super sick people, they are going to have to find the holistic medical doctors, the functional medical doctors when they're super, super sick, because they're not even, you know, they've got people where you know, you can't even touch them with diet and healing foods. I mean, Stephanie can tell you that with all these children with autism, some of these children can only eat two or three foods at first. It's really sad. Hmm. Because I I talk to autistic mothers and I say, you've got to get, you know, they really need sulfur because I know sulfur deficiency is really a key. Sulfate deficiency is a really key factor in autism. And and I, I suggest some foods. They say, well, my child, he would never eat that. And they just, they just totally dismiss it. Oh, there's no way I could get him to eat that. So it's just like the kid is stuck with this horrible diet. They're actually you know, attracted these, to the foods that harm them the most. It's incredible. Somehow right. the foods condition their gut to the point where that's the only foods they can eat, you know? And they can't handle anything that's got the nutrition that they need because the enzymes that would handle it are, are broken. And so it becomes toxic. So like sulfur becomes toxic and they can't eat it. And so you've got to fix that problem before you can go forward. You can't get the nutrition into them because they can't eat those foods and they refuse to eat them. So it becomes really problematic. I don't know how to fix that. And, um, you know, it's frustrating. Yeah, but I think for general people, just eat a healthy diet is so important. Certified organic, always buy certified organic, eat whole foods, you know, don't eat things that are in boxes, don't eat things that are in packages, eat whole foods. You mm-hmm. can recognize what it is, you know, uh, the plant or the, or the animal. I mean, it's just uh, a simple, simple, very simple uh, advice that I think is crucial. And then getting out in the sunlight, don't use sunscreen, don't use sunglasses. You know, the sun yeah. is really healing. It's Just true. Get that I don't use sunglasses exposure. or sunscreen. 
Um, yeah, I, I feel it. I feel it's tragic when I see a little two-year-old wearing sunglasses. It's so terrible because that's protecting his pineal gland from receiving the sunlight that would produce the sulfate that would go with the melatonin to help supply the brain with melatonin sulfate, which is essential for clearing the garbage. You know, so you're setting right up for things like autism when you wear sunglasses. It's really stupid as a child. It's like a mask. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but, I mean, it's so interesting, these things that we believe in, like sunscreen is another one, right? Because the sunscreen industry has really boomed. I mean, we use way more sunscreen now than yeah. we did 20 years ago. They're so and, and toxic. Much, much higher. Organic sunscreen with uh, zinc, um, with, with silver and, and zinc, um, but Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but just for the people, I've covered the sunscreen industry and it's like, just wonder why the skin cancer has gone up despite all the slew of toxic, toxic yeah. sunscreens. Um, yeah, I, I thought that you plot the melanoma, skin melanoma over time against the uh, sunscreen sales over time. They line up. The two curves are extremely correlated. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's Go crazy. Figure. And yet we still are told, well, get that sunscreen out. Don't, don't you dare have that sun hit your skin without sunscreen protecting you. And you end up not making melatonin, melanin, you know, the melanin, the skin tanning agent would naturally protect you. You get enough of a tan in the spring, you can handle the, the hot summer sun, no problem. But uh, you can't, you know, but the melanin comes out of the shikimate pathway too. So you might have an impaired ability to make it. A lot of people mm. tell me, oh, I can't tan. I just, I just get red. And that could be because of glyphosate poisoning. Because of a lot of things. I mean, yeah. let, let's face it, like to answer your question, Doug, that I mean, I specialize in autoimmune conditions. So I often find a, a functional medicine practitioner. Functional medicine is the future. It's personalized to you. It's looking at at criteria, even ant, ant, antecedents, like things prior to your birth and whether you were vaginally born, whether you're breastfed, so mm -hmm. many, so many details, but usually someone will come to me and I'll find a functional medicine, a practitioner. And so I do the consultation. So consultation is more like authoritative where I'm, I'm telling them, this is what I suggest. And coach is is steeped in, in positive psychology and it's really to help them make those long lasting changes because people have a hard time. But let's face it, a lot of the times it's like we're undoing the damage. So, you know, I've had, I had someone who was having liver issues and she just wanted to listen to her doctor. And then she came like a year later and she's like, I'll just do whatever you say, Miriam. Mm -hmm. And like within a week I had her feeling better. I had her uh, losing weight and it starts with, I do, um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of tests and metabolics, looking at metabolomics or going to, to someone like Sterling. But it, instead of just throwing spaghetti on the wall, I say, and just let's see what sticks. No, let's get specific. Let's get into the details. And anyone who thinks that de you're getting lost in the details, again, that is where the devil lies. Specifics matter. And look at how we've gone down in this conversation. Then you can look at, again, how Western medicine is just so generalized and myopic, compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I mean, it starts with diet. Food is thy medicine. And doctors get less than 25 hours of mm -hmm. nutritional education in their four years of schooling. Hello. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, it is, it is crazy. 
Well, one thing I get irritated with is um, I get, you, you get these, and I'm sure a lot of you guys see this, um, you get these people, they're so used to, okay, what pill do I take so I'm going to get better? And then they leave, what pill am I going to take so I get better? Well, no, don't don't tell me all this stuff. Just tell me what vitamins to take. And I'm like, no, when, when you come to me, like Miriam is saying in details, I always tell people the body is a complex ecosystem. So what I'm getting ready to put out there is a little complex, but I'm going to dummy it down as much as I can. Um, you know, and if you want easy, you, you know, that's, that's why you got sick. Um, you know, right. the body's a very complex ecosystem. And, you, you know, it's hard to unleave it sometimes when people get past a certain point. Yeah, agreed. So Sterling, from the epigenetic point of view, are people doing like genetic testing for you? Are you looking at their their DNA makeup and then you're starting from there? Is that something that people can do as well as the, the metabolic test that Miriam was just talking about? Yeah, I like looking at the things like Miriam looks at too. Like she mm-hmm. said, she looks at genetics too. And then, you know, she looks at the metabolic panels because not everything you have impaired is going to be epigenetically expressing but like for instance i see you low on b6 p5p i'm i know that you're not going to be breaking down glutamate into gaba well so the gad gene's going to be impaired we need to go focus there and oh you're red you're on fire there and you're you're low on b6 you're in trouble um you know, I look at different genes that way. So it's nice to have. Now, there's some genes that you're born with, but it's a very small percentage that you have impairments on that. And, and they usually touch those things at birth. But as we grow and we start to destroy these things that we do have impaired start epigenetically expressing. So it's a lot easier for us to look at those, uh, you know, like organic ester testing and stuff along with the DNA to say, oh my gosh, yeah, this person's in trouble over here. Mm. We need to focus over there first before we go over there and focus elsewhere. And I'm sure Stephanie will agree with that and Maryam will agree with that as well. Yeah, looking at hormones, looking at neurotransmitters, looking, looking at genetic SNPs, uh, lo- looking as, at as much specifics as you can to get a whole a picture of the of the individual and and I agree with Sterling the pe- people do not just like tell me what to do tell me what pill to take and um or or not or like they're not I don't I don't eat gluten and then I I always ask for like um 5 days show me what you eat for 5 days and it's like um what do you think toast is I'm sorry <laughs> you're eating gluten <laughs> yeah um, and, and just making those little changes, the easiest thing to do is the hardest thing for people is the dietary changes. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. sure. Well, I think, you know, it is funny, the concept of um, the, the simplest, it, simple things are not always the easiest thing, you know, like it's making simple changes, but it's very challenging, especially and I think, um, you know, maybe you could talk to this a little bit. Like if you are used to that bad diet, it takes a little bit of transition into the good, like your body actually adjusts to the toxic environment that you're sort of cultivating or participating in. So you may not, you can't just switch right over into the, into the healthy lifestyle necessarily. You have to actually 
kind of cultivate a, a, a different lifestyle over time. You have to do this, the detox, you know, something kind of do it slowly, actually. Yeah. It's not going to be I'd, something I'd like that to talk right to, the, to, to that. Mm-hmm. Like I do little upgrades. So I look at, and then I'm like, okay, you're drinking coffee. Did you know that coffee is the most, one of the most sprayed um, crops out there? Let's switch you to a low acid, like a bulletproof, like um, organic coffee. Let, let's make those little changes. Let, let's, okay. I also needed when I, when I was told Miriam, ideally you need to lose all grains and that included rice and quinoa. I was like, F that I'm not going to give up my quinoa. I've already like given up everything. So then we, so I make little changes and then do it slowly. But then I'll also do a, a Cyrex test where I want to see what their actual um, sensitivities are to foods because blueberries are excellent, an excellent food. But I'm just using it as an example. They, they might be dangerous to some, some person. Spinach is great, but if you have high oxalates. So again, looking at specifics, but just making small little upgrades instantly mm-hmm. can, can help um, give some, some people some relief or have them, you know, a lot of people are, are want to lose weight. I'm like, that's the last of your problems because how many people are having thyroid issues or are eating toxic and they're not, a, they're not going to lose weight. We have to make the small changes. And then when we do, then the, the weight will, will go. What about probiotics? Um, since you're talking about, it, I mean, this was actually something fascinating, Sterling, that you brought up is that the, the, um, the gut bacteria will alternate with your genetic makeup so that it actually works symbiotically with, with what you've got going on already. So everybody has different genes. They'll have a different um, biome in order to manufacture what your body's not manufacturing by itself already predisposed genetically. So can you look at someone and then recommend like a, a probiotic diet that'll help balance uh, in terms of their gut flora? I do a biome test. Yeah, well, first. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, Sterling. Uh, first, first you want to um, you want to make sure that they don't have um, leaky gut. Um, this is one thing Judy Mikovits has taught me is um, when somebody has a real leaky gut and you go in with the probiotics, Sometimes they'll go where they shouldn't go. And then, you know, you you have this group of people, they have pans and pandas as well. Um, and, you know, you got to heal that blood-brain barrier up first and, and get that leaky gut healed up a little bit sometimes. Because we've seen, I've, I've literally seen some people with um, severe blood-brain barrier leakages and mm. pandas where they have... Um, certain antibodies on their brain and they have that blood brain barrier leakage and they have severe leaky gut and you give them a probiotic. We've literally had children land in um, basically psychiatric facilities from it. So you always want to make sure that gut is on a healing process. Those grooves are closing up and stuff with things like bone broth. If you can tolerate it, a good organic bone broth is great. Um, and then you can start coming in with the probiotics. But yes, you can then most definitely look at genetics and different organic acid testing. That's one of the biggest ones. Um, for example, when I see somebody high glutamate and low GABA, if you know, we know that they're um, on that healing process and they can tolerate probiotics, lactobacillus rhamnosus is going to be, for example, one big probiotic that would be very good for them. 
Yeah, yeah. Sounds, sounds good. Figuring out how to balance things out. And, and then, well, you're, and you're talking about, I mean, it's just fascinating to me because you're talking about things that are typically considered uh, emotional imbalances too. I mean, people are going to start having hormone imbalances because they're not eating right. And then you've got depression and anxiety and all of these other things going on. Uh, so it's, it's not just your body looking better, like people want to lose weight, but it's also your, your emotional self is going to start balancing out. Um, which is just yeah. some, something that's so hard to change for people. And they, they're spending all this money and taking all these drugs and, it, and it's not really happening, but um, it's just something to point out that this, this path of healing helps not just the body, but also, you know, balances the emotions for people too, if they can go through this detox process. Um, just before, because we're knocking on two hours here, so we probably should think about wrapping it up, but I want to go back to the whole glyphosate issue and ask you all, because glyphosate is such a huge deal, uh, what can people do to detox off the glyphosate? I mean, even uh, Dr. Seneff, you're talking about people that do eat whole foods and do eat organic still have glyphosate in their system. Glyphosate. It's almost impossible to to uh, to not have any in your system. So, what should people be aware of in terms of you know basically constantly trying to detox this stuff? <laughs> Right. Now, that's a challenge. And I don't know really what works, but I do know there are some people who are marketing some products that they say help to uh, deal with the glyphosate. Mm. Fulvic acid and humic acid, which is organic matter from the soil, is one that I've heard of and I've taken. And then there's also just mineral supplements because um, the minerals are all messed up by the glyphosate. So you need to get your minerals back up again, but you need to do that in a very balanced way. Certainly, I think uh, bone broth is very, very healthy if it's organic. It has to be you don't want a bone broth from cows that have been exposed to glyphosate because that's going to be very high levels of glyphosate in the in the collagen that's in the bone. So, mm -hmm. um, but bone broth in general, and, and of course uh, salts using the um, the natural um, sea salts, Mediterranean sea salt, that sort of thing to have uh, natural minerals in the salt rather than the regular table salt that's just sodium chloride. So those are some simple things you can do. I like probiotics too. I like for probiotic foods. So for example, sauerkraut, I think is really excellent. Um, and apple cider vinegar. So we, we kind of eat those a lot. We make our own salad dressing. We use Bragg's organic apple cider vinegar, um, which uh, I believe may have microbes that can break down glyphosate because acetobacter are one of the species that have been shown to be able to break it down. Most uh, species, most bacteria are not able to break down that Glyphosate has this uh, unusual CP bond, carbon phosphorus bond, that's very difficult to break down for most microbes. So there's only a few that can do that, and um, Acetobacter are one of them. Anybody else have advice for people that are trying to trying to detox, especially on the glyphosate? Well, yeah, um, get methylation marking. Um, get and methylation is a big process where you've got to go um, first. You've got to address your phase one liver detox. Get the sugar out of your body. Um, go into sulfation. Then you know eventually reach down to methylation. And once you achieve that methylation, where you can handle things like methylfolate, methyl B twelve, um, P five P, R five P, those methylated versions of those vitamins, and you're living a good, healthy lifestyle, try to do, you know, organic vegetation only, like they've all been saying here, all all of us, nothing out of a box or a can. Um, if you are a meat eater. Make sure that you're getting bovine growth hormone free. Um, 
you know, they're not eating stuff, you know, sprayed with glyphosate, the animals that you're eating. Um, but that's really important. Maybe, you know, some infrared sauna, because that, that's a great way to detox um, and getting those healthy minerals in, like even Stephanie said, you know, that I, I use it myself. I use the Selena salt because I know it's a great sea salt and mm-hmm. I'm getting girls. I'm not getting that acidic table salt where that table salt is acidic and sea salt is more alkaline and it's going to get in the cell better and you're going to actually get minerals. Yeah. Um, but all these things are important in detoxing anything from glyphosate to anything else in the body. Mm-hmm. I would invite people to buzz on over to honeycolony.com and uh, Simply Transformative. I mean, my whole, my business is based, I mean, everything that we sell is made in America is things that we use. And uh, we have tons of articles about the importance of detoxification. And I'm a, you know, for instance, sell infrared sauna. I'm a big fan. It's helped me a lot. And uh, also, I'm a huge fan of coffee enemas. They they did so much to reverse my ANA levels and my autoimmune condition. And infrared sauna is a way to get into the parasympathetic. It's it's a passive way to sweat and uh, slowly remove uh, toxins as opposed to, let's say, chelation, which you have to do or you should do um, over, you know, not blast your body and do it dramatically to remove heavy metals but do it slowly over over time it's a big part detoxification and then you have to get the organs ready to be able to detoxify like there's there's a path to do it you you can't just like oh i'm gonna do a gallbladder um flush or something like you have to prime prime the body and then i just wanted to say as far as like looking at the microbiome uh, we we had partnered with um, although I think that they sold to a pharmaceutical can have a profile of microbiota on one side of the gut that differs from the other side of the gut and that there's so many different strains and some are anti-inflammatory and it's it's really like you shouldn't just take one micro one um, probiotic because then you're creating um, a monoculture you, you have to like have an array, but using Viome, um, it's an app that was able to tell me, like, for instance, for me, for a while, because I was dealing with mold toxicity, I couldn't do kombucha or, or, or sauerkraut, even though sauerkraut is, is really, really good for you. And then it can change. Like there's, you know, you can go through different periods of time where it's like, okay, well now I need this. And I'm also a big fan of bone broth and you have to make sure it's organic. You can get a crock pot and you can make it yourself and pull in, put in a lot of things like um, seaweed, for instance. I'm a big fan of nascent iodine. Um, if you are eating bread, just so you know that they remove the the bromide, the iodine, and they put it with promide that also uh, works um, competes with the same receptor that you both could speak to better than that. So again, it's like being specific, but detoxification is not just a juice cleanse. I tell people it's a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And well, I generally recommend sulfur containing foods, especially, I, uh, and I like the um, herbs of ginger, garlic, and onions, you know, use those scallions that use those generously in your cooking. They're very sure. tasty and they're also very healthy. Great. 
Oh, and cilantro as well. That's cilantro, that's right. Good. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Well, I got that going for me. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys, um, Miriam, I know they can find you at honeycolony.com. How about um, Sterling? Where can people find out more about your work? M-T-H-F-R support.com. And how about you, Dr. Seneff? <laughs> My MIG webpage is not too easy, but it's a CSAIL, <laughs> C-S-A-I-L, Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. It's actually people.csail.mit.edu slash, and then my last name, Seneff. But if you type my name, S-E-N-E-F-F, if you can remember my last name, you can find all kinds of stuff, all kinds of interviews and, you know, slideshows and papers and whatnot. So, but I have a lot of material uh, on my, posted on my webpage at MIT. Okay. Yeah. Will you say that one more time? I, I just want to make sure that I can promote it for you. Yeah. P-E-O-P-L-E, people, mm-hmm. dot C-S-A-I-L, C-S-A-I-L, okay. dot M-I-T, dot E-D-U, slash, C-N-E-F-F. All right. Sounds great. Yeah, we'll do it. And hopefully people will check it out and learn more about this because I do think that, you know, it is, it's kind of interesting to just hear you guys talk and, and realize that there does need to be essentially a revolution. I mean, the biochemistry is there. People have been doing a lot of great work for the last, you know, uh, 100 years in, into this, and it hasn't made the inroads that it, it should have made because we have this Rockefeller medicine system that's taken over that where the big money is at. Um, and uh, it's just amazing what has happened in terms of the kind of work that you all are doing with vitamins and minerals and, and enzymes and supplements and things that are very, very inexpensive. And uh, we would have a lot healthier uh, lifestyle uh, and a lot more free spending cash <laughs> if we paid more attention to people like you. So uh, thank you all so much for your work. And I really appreciate you being on the program today. Um, I hope that uh, all of our listeners really learned a lot. So um, thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, thank you, Doug, and bless you both. Thank you for your work, and and, uh, this is spiritual warfare, and and, uh, we must keep on keeping on. Yeah, I appreciate both of you, all of you, for the work you've done to help promote. um, Yes. All right, you got it. You all have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Well, all right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, that was a fascinating one for me. I wasn't exactly sure where that conversation was going to go. I got to tell you, most of the time when I do these types of interviews, I have a little bit of an outline, a little bit of an understanding uh, as to where I want to see the conversation go. You know, I kind of have an idea about what the point of the episode is going to be. And, and in this one, I felt like I was flying just a little bit blind because I didn't really understand so much about um, the science that's been coming out. And so I was just learning so much even in the middle of that conversation, just kind of going with it and really listening to what these ladies had to say. Um, The concept of epigenetics from Sterling Hill really kind of blew my mind. One of the things that came out of this that I did not understand before was that our gene expression actually works side by side with our microbiome and your gut biome will grow different bacteria depending on your gene expression. So some of us have genes that say, Uh, will set up your cells to manufacture certain chemicals that you need, and some of us won't have those genes. And so our gut microbiome will develop alongside of our uh, genetic structure 
to develop, to create those chemicals for us side by side. Like, I just couldn't believe it's such a synergistic uh, operating machine, the way our bodies work together with our gut bacteria. So that was really fascinating. And the other side of the coin, Dr. Seneff, just quite frankly, one of the most intelligent people I've ever spoken with. She was out of control. Uh, I was so impressed with her knowledge from the top down of the biochemistry of the body. Everything that you could possibly know about how the body works. <laughs> uh, Dr. Seneff was right there to explain it to us. It was a little bit difficult uh, to kind of get her to pull back a little bit so that we could understand what she was talking about, to be totally honest with you. Um, and I started by the end of the conversation to really paint that picture of, okay, you know, we can clearly see how the biochemistry of the body works. I mean, what I really got from it was that biochemistry has advanced so much as a science in the last hundred years that we really can see how the human body works. It's so refined down to the cellular and microscopic levels um, that we can see how a healthy body is supposed to work. Uh, we can see how the toxins in our environment really influence and break down these uh, optimal health systems inside our body, how our immune system tries to work to detoxify, uh, and what happens when the immune system isn't working. And just like Dr. Seneff said, she's expecting a revolution in medicine. We're just all waiting for the healthcare field to understand that biochemistry has reached this place where we can give people supplements and vitamins and minerals and enzymes and hormones to balance your systems out and to allow your body to heal itself for very little cost. I mean, that's what's amazing is it's so low cost. And yet this science, this scientific understanding that Dr. Seneff so clearly has uh, is not prominent in the allopathic medical industry. So instead of, of being able to utilize this vast amount of knowledge of biochemistry and how it works, especially coupled with Sterling Hill's epigenetics, where then we can see how the biochemistry works with your DNA and your own personalized, individualized genome. And we can determine through how these two aspects of our bodies work together, the kind of supplementation or really just diet changes that you need in order to start living a more balanced and healthy lifestyle. And it's just so sad to me that this aspect, this, this uh, functional medicine field that we discussed in this episode today is not being utilized. It's not being funded. Uh, we're not seeing, you know, COVID doesn't happen and then, and then Dr. Seneff gets billions of dollars. You know, those go to the major politically connected corporations that are going to pump antivirals and are going to start producing vaccines instead of to people like Dr. Seneff and Sterling Hill that can help us strengthen our body's immune systems so that these diseases are never a problem in the first place. Um, so it's, it's frustrating, certainly, to know that the knowledge is out there, but it's not being paid attention to by the mainstream because it's just not profitable enough. And so the government corporate complex is not paying any attention to it. The big money is going into this biodefense industrial complex that's all surrounded by, you know, uh, the antivirals and the vaccines. Uh, and it's all just going to focus in this one direction when that direction is, is clearly not functioning very well for our society and our communities as a whole. So 
um, you know, let's take this information and let's put it together, which was the great thing about having Miriam in the mix from honeycolony.com, <clears throat> because as she has always so eloquently put forth this great metaphor of the honey colony and what's going on with, with colony collapse disorder, where we see with the bees, just like with human beings, that we are experiencing a slow kill from toxicity over time. And that as the toxicity builds and builds slowly and slowly and slowly, uh, just like the glyphosate that Dr. Sinus was talking about, but also the heavy metals, the, the mercury and the aluminum in the vaccines, um, and the heavy metals that are just sprayed all over the environment every day by industrial processes, um, these are slowly building in our own uh, biological systems inside of our bodies and taking our bodies down. And we're seeing these... Um, we're seeing these epidemics of uh, uh, immunological diseases, chronic diseases, where uh, our bodies just can't handle it, and it's happening slowly to each and every one of us over time. So I hope we start to pay more and more attention to the philosophy behind functional medicine, to these detoxification protocols that Sterling Hill talks about, and to this biochemistry that Dr. Seneff knows so well. Um, and I certainly would urge all of you to check out um, Miriam Hanane's work at honeycolony.com. She kind of synthesizes the two together and puts out uh, a pretty practical guide uh, along with some products there that can help you get started along the path if you choose this healthcare modality. So thanks everyone for listening and checking out this uh, episode of the Roundtable Discussions. Really appreciate you getting involved. I know I've been learning a lot by producing these. I'm loving talking to the people that I'm talking to. It's always so great to uh, have these conversations with such intelligent people and learn about different perspectives and different point of views, um, especially when you realize that there's so much out there, uh, scientifically speaking, on the cutting edge of science that's different than what we're told every day on the mainstream corporate media is quote-unquote science. Um, it seems like every day we're told this science is the right science. We've got to do what science says. So we're all doing what Dr. Fauci says right now. Uh, when in fact, there's a lot of different scientists out there, a lot of different places where you can go and look and learn. And this cutting edge material, like this biochemistry material that we're getting from people like Dr. Seneff today, uh, can point us in a, in a whole new direction that I think will work a lot better in the long run, certainly be a lot less expensive uh, and a lot less potential for the kind of corruption that we see in the current government corporate complex that's uh, kind of imposing this healthcare system that doesn't seem to be functioning very well for all of us. So uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, I hope you continue to tune into the roundtable discussions. We're going to keep producing uh, these great programs for you and having more and more interesting conversation every week. So uh, thanks again, and you all take care. We'll see you soon. Bye. The opinions and ideas expressed in this roundtable discussion do not necessarily reflect the views of transparent media truth, but only those of the speakers participating in the discussion. Under the copyright disclaimer within Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, allowances are made for fair use of public content for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing, 
Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in favor of fair use.